Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up? Happy Friday. I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. I am proud to be recording this podcast open from Oxford, Mississippi. We're late on a Thursday night here. Flew in guess around nine, got into Oxford around 11 or so. Uh, excited to be back. Excited to see some folks I haven't seen in a while and uh, miss this uh, miss this place. I, I guess, I don't know, sometimes you think you like take it for granted living here and it's always good to uh, good to come back. So we have a packed Friday show for you. We're going to have Weldon Rodenberg uh, kind of pinch hit from his normal Sunday slot to come on and talk some Arkansas here in the open about what's kind of important for uh what is an important game for both programs, I should say, uh, kind of preview a little bit of what to expect from Arkansas, KJ Jefferson's health status, how Ole Miss is going to fare against the run. And then I kind of picked his brain towards the end regarding some recruiting stuff and uh, just kind of how much shared territory Ole Miss and Arkansas actually have found that interesting. So appreciate his insight as always. And then we have our Friday picks with uh, LB's Greg, a little more lucid LB's Greg, uh, this week uh, dispatching from his house in Como uh, instead of the library or a late night LB session. So a little tamer, Greg, this week as we get into uh, week six in the National Football, or excuse me, week five in the National Football League and week six of college football. So we got that going for us today. We've got Skybox's picks. Y'all don't know, y'all know the drill. Sky, Skybox Sports Picks, check them out. The world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval and Advanced Modeling Mechanism that has helped propel Skybox at the top of the industry. Go check out one of their packages, skyboxsportspicks.com. Seven and one in the NFL opening week, nine and oh, two weeks ago, and then a six and two week last week. That's really tough to beat, honestly. If you're not checking out Skybox, I don't really know what you're doing. Speaks for itself. So we've got their picks as well. We had a little bit of a travel snafu and by that i mean i didn't realize that i was flying out on thursday to get to oxford on thursday and then i texted greg on wednesday afternoon it was like oh hell we have to record tonight so i didn't have the skybox picks in time so i'm going to read the skybox picks for the week in the open uh before we get to greg and then that way you'll have the free plays they were six and one in the free play i think they went two and two last week so what we're at eight and four or eight and three on the free plays for Skybox for the year. So I'm going to read their picks at the top, and then it'll just be me and Greg, and then we will uh, kind of lead you into the weekend based off that. So uh, no ad reads necessary. We've got Skybox and LBs in the mix every week in our Friday show. Let's roll. All right, we now welcome on Weldon Rodenberg back with this, not normally in a Sunday slot, doing a little Friday preview action. Figured it was appropriate um, just because, I mean, for a number of different reasons, but like, I think this is, you could argue, the most important game of Ole Miss's season. As we sit here listening to this on Friday morning, Ole Miss set to play Arkansas this weekend. Uh, we got into a little bit of this matchup on Sunday. I know kind of we do our normal thing with, kind of exploring what happened the day before and then going around the SEC. And then there's been a couple of times where we've kind of previewed the next matchup uh, when the case has been appropriate, but uh, we'll just get right into it. How, I, this is a terrible way to ask this, but like how important do you view this game? Cause I did this open on for the Wednesday podcast about how it's not really a zag to say this is a more important game than 
Alabama was for Ole Miss, but I think you'll learn a hell of a lot more about this team, the coaching staff, and the program this week than you did last week. I completely agree. I mean, it's an incredibly important game. I think just the barometer, <clears throat> excuse me, of where this team is at will be set more accurately after this game. Fair you way had, to put it. Yeah, you had three teams you played before Alabama that, you know, Louisville's actually turned out to be a decent team so far. I know they lost a tough one to Wake, but Alabama was just such a level above. And with the fourth downs, it's hard to determine exactly where the team is at after a game like that. It's just such a unique outcome, I guess you could say. But now you're coming back home against a really solid Arkansas team, some that can very comparable to Ole Miss and where they're at in their program um, and their trajectory. So I think it's an incredibly important game from that standpoint. And like you said, you'll learn a lot more about this team. I know you weren't much on, like you weren't necessarily like on the game day side aspect of it in terms of having a lot of responsibility with what you did on game day per se, but you were in the program and around the program how hard is it to get up for a game that's important? I, there probably necessar- wasn't necessarily a situation while you were there. Maybe there was, and I'm just not thinking of it, where you came off a tough loss and then had kind of a vitally important game at 11 a.m. the next week. But be that as it may, regardless, how tough is it to get up for a game that matters at 11 o'clock? Because I know their whole schedule is early. It's, you know – I know Kiffin wants to do the whole sell out the vault thing. I don't think it'll be sold out. I still think it'll be a good crowd. But even if it's a good crowd, the atmosphere is just not the same as 11. People aren't as liquored up. No. I mean, no one wants to admit it. How hard is it to get up for these things at 11 a.m.? It can be very difficult. And, you know, through my few years there, we played some of these 11 o'clock games. So some of these players are actually used to it. Some of the older guys have played these 11 a.m. games. I think the difference is this is an 11 a.m. game with, like, some real stakes. And I think the last 11 a.m. game Ole Miss played with stakes was maybe Georgia 2016, Kirby's year. Good call. They just lost to Bama and Florida State. So, even then, it wasn't the same kind of dynamic. Um, But I think that the importance of the game makes it a little bit easier. You know exactly what you're getting into. After what happened last year, the coaching staff, Matt, everyone knows that they want this game badly. So I think they'll have a good week of practice and they'll be fully prepared for this team. But 11 a.m. games are difficult and they're a pain for fans trying to get to the game. And with the players, it can be a little bit of a slow start sometimes. How hard of a take is it to say you'd in this type of situation, you'd rather be the road team at 11 a.m.? It's not that crazy of a take, but I, it, that's tough. It, it can go both right. ways. I, I don't think that's that crazy of a take. You you probably – the difference between Arkansas and Ole Miss – oh, actually, no, that's not the difference. No, I'm sorry. There is a big difference. Arkansas is on back-to-back road games. Right. They went, they went to Georgia, and now they're coming to Oxford. That is a huge disadvantage for them. Um, both games are at 11 a.m., so they've had the experience of it last week. But from a – I know from a gambling standpoint, which isn't that relevant to this game, you know, when you're looking at teams on back-to-back road games, especially in the NFL and in college, it's a massive disadvantage. So I actually would say I'd rather be Ole Miss in this situation than Arkansas. No, yeah, for sure. Like when I phrase that as like would rather be the road team, 
like, I guess what the actual, like, I guess what I was trying to get at and probably the more rational take of it is, is like, if you were ever wanting to be a road team in this game with stakes, you'd probably want it to be at 11 AM is probably the more rational way to put that. And another aspect of it, you just made me think of this kind of hitting on what you were talking about back-to-back road games. You know, everyone talks about the Alabama effect, particularly over the last seven to eight years, where when you play Alabama, there's a different physical toll that it takes on you as opposed to playing other teams. And honestly, if there was ever another team to kind of deliver that punishing Alabama effect, is it not this version of Georgia? I mean, it's it's a better defense than Alabama has this year, and they really just kind of hit you in the mouth offensively. Like, there's got to be a little bit of that kind of quote-unquote cliched Bama effect to playing Georgia this year, is there not? There definitely is. It's the same concept, you know, tough defense, physical players, And actually, I know Ole Miss has had a few injuries, but Arkansas may have more injuries. So who knows how healthy they actually are, you know, how healthy they were going into the Georgia game than how healthy they are coming now into the Ole Miss game. Even if they aren't actually injured, just nicks, bruises, are they really 100% or are they more 70%? So that effect, just as Ole Miss had against Alabama, is the exact same thing with Arkansas and Georgia. You've watched a lot of football this year and probably actually more so than me, given the uh, inconsiderateness of my friend group to have a bunch of weddings, (laughs) particularly over the last two and a half, three weeks. Ole Miss is going to get a pretty similar dose of what they've gotten, what they got last week. It's going to probably look a little bit different, although I would probably argue that Arkansas may alter it a little bit and try to run a bit more between the tackles than maybe they showed against A&M. They still do a decent bit of it. Just kind of your assessment of K.J. Jefferson – and this entire Arkansas offense as a whole, I'll just kind of give you like a slight lead into what I've seen from watching. I watched a decent bit of their A&M game last night and then tried to kind of go back and rewind some, I'd say, highlights of Georgia because I actually watched a decent bit of that from Sea Island last weekend or St. Thomas, whatever. Um, it seems like that pretty much everything runs through K.J. Jefferson and Traylon Smith in the backfield, and even a lot of their passing concepts run through that either. What have you kind of seen from them, and what do you anticipate Ole Miss seeing on Saturday? I would imagine they're going to use the same game plan Alabama used. It's Ole Miss is going to run their defense, and Arkansas is going to say, all right, can you stop us? Um, K.J. has played incredibly well, but he is clearly, clearly hobbled and injured to a point that – Who knows if he's going to even start this game. But uh, I would imagine he is. Nothing is said that he's not. Uh, But with with him not having the ability to run the ball, you know it's going to the backs, and that takes a little bit of pressure off of Ole Miss because those play fakes, those reads where K.J. takes it, it's just not going to be the dynamic guy you saw earlier in the season against Texas and A&M. Burks is a hell of a football player. He's the best, might be the best player on the field, uh, with the exception of Corral, the best skilled player on the field when they play um, on Saturday. They've got a good offensive line, and that defense plays incredibly hard. And their experience. I was looking at their roster earlier. Maybe I still have it pulled up. Oh, no, I'm looking at other stuff. But their three down defensive linemen are all all, transfers. All transfers. All, two from Missouri and one from, like, northern Illinois or something like that. Um, incredibly experienced. They may have one guy on offense who's not a junior starting and playing. I think it's, like, the left guard. I mean, these guys have played a ton of football, and 
they're really good. It's going to be a tough, tough game for Ole Miss. It's going to be a very much a bend, don't break defensive style for Ole Miss. Kind of rehashing back to something you said about Jefferson, that was what I was going to ask you, and this is the classic me saying I went back and watched the highlights of the Georgia game and not necessarily being locked into it. I was going to ask you about K.J. Jefferson ran the ball technically eight times. How much of that was like sack rushes and all that? I, I don't know. I honestly too lazy to go back and look, but it's been pretty consistent. You know, nine for 89 versus Rice, 10 for 73 versus Texas, eight for 50 yeah. versus A&M. It was eight for five against Georgia. So I imagine what he was sacked three times. So he it was not like clearly he... in design runs a lot. I was going to ask yeah. you why that was the case. And to be completely honest, I didn't pick up on him being injured. What was kind of an indicator to you that he was banged up? Because that's clearly <clears throat> something I missed from watching them last week. Yeah, he. Uh, I think he got banged up against AM. You saw a little bit of Malik Hornsby coming in that game. That's right. I think it, that's, that makes sense now. Same deal, I yeah. guess. I mean, he looked like he was walking when he was trying to run against Georgia. And I know Georgia's team speed is out of this world, but he looked completely inept as a runner against Georgia to a point where I don't expect him to be a huge runner against Ole Miss. I think he's got an ankle injury or something like that. He's not as dynamic as Cunningham. I don't think Ole Miss is going to have to spy him as much as you might have had to if he was healthy. However, if Hornsby's in the game, you're spying that kid all day long. He is legit speed. He is a national champion four-by-100-meter guy. We recruited him in 19. He is a freak athlete but does not have the ability to throw the ball like KJ does. Even KJ has accuracy issues, but he's much more developed than Hornsby is. So I'm sure you'll see both of them, especially since KJ can't run. But golly, I mean, it's Georgia. It was bad. Like, he could not move. And that really kind of neuters what they're trying to do a decent bit because, as you mentioned, they are pretty limited throwing the football. I mean, they like the statistics – against Texas A&M for Jefferson throwing the football were fine, but you got to remember that 76 of the 212 or whatever came on that one pass to Burks down the right. sideline. So they're not like they've had, they've had their struggles throwing the football, but man, if you let Traylon Smith kind of go at five, six yards to carry, like, you know, Alabama did last weekend with Robinson, it may not necessarily matter. So when you kind of look at this from an Arkansas defense versus Ole Miss offense, excuse me, Arkansas offense versus Ole Miss defense perspective, what are you keying in on in watching this game? Because I think it's fascinating. I kind of pointed out the Austin Keys thing and pretty much hand up was like, I don't know why this was the case, but they definitely had three linebackers on the field for 40 something snaps. I finally went back and got the snap counts. I don't know what they were trying to do, but do you think we see more of that? Like, what are you kind of looking for in terms of Ole Miss stopping Arkansas's rushing attack? I think you could see more three linebacker, kind of like a three, three, five deal. I know that's what Mississippi state runs a lot with Arnett over there. I wouldn't be surprised if they started off in that three, two, six though, and kind of see how it goes. I mean, if Ole Miss comes out, let's say get the ball first, score a touchdown, get a three and out on a decent drive and kind of build a lead a little bit, you might not even have to get out of it. But you know Arkansas is going to be tough on all, on defense. You know Ole Miss probably isn't putting up 45 on this team. Or if they do, they win. So it'll be all a moot point. I would say they'll start off in that 3-2-6, play with their, with their bread and butter, if they see it turning into an Alabama fest where he's getting five, six yards to carry, then they'll hopefully and probably have an adjustment ready 
after seeing what happened to them last week. So you might see a change here or there, but I think they'll start in the same defense and kind of play bend, don't break like they did against Louisville. At this point is where Ole Miss is from a defensive personnel standpoint. There's probably no one that knows this better from a uh, podcasting media landscape other than the people that are on the sideline each week than you. The whole debate this entire week, and we hit on it a little bit on Sunday when we talked about, like, what can Ole Miss actually do differently um, from a personnel standpoint? And, like, we were talking, you know, a Saturday night before we did the pod on Sunday, Chase and Neil and I were kind of talking about that on the segment I did for the postgame show. It was like, what can they do? And is the fact that they haven't done a whole lot different indicative of the fact that they're just kind of limited with what they have? And I guess the point I kind of make, made in Monday's newsletter was, who are the defensive linemen they actually trust? You can go through and name it. I guess it's what? Sam Williams, Cedric Johnson, KD. KD Hill, who actually played more snaps than Quentin Divens. And I think that's the third game in the row that's been the case. I'm not 100% sure on that, so don't quote me on that. But I'm pretty sure that's the case. He's been playing pretty decent football. But it's yep. him and Bivens. After that, who are you trusting on the defensive line? Because you obviously don't really want to move Johnson or Williams inside. And, like, the only other name I could think of was a healthy Tavius Robinson. And, honestly, when I wrote it on Monday, it was just an oversight. Tariq is Tisdale, but I think it was a justified oversight because he only played 18 snaps in the Alabama game. Neither one of the Juco kids have made a, a huge impact. I think Isaiah Eiton played 33 plays and Jamon Gordon was like 13. And if I had to go back and watch it a third time, I would guess that about 10 or 12 of those came when the game was out of reach. Like, what sure. do you think they can do from a defensive line perspective? Do you think it's just strict three down front because they just don't have the horses yet? Or do you think they can make a change? I don't think they're going to make a change. I think they I spent this whole summer offseason uh, developing this new strategy, this new defense, this new scheme, kind of thanks to Arkansas last year. They saw what it did against teams throwing the ball. And I think it fits even more because of exactly what you're saying. They don't trust any of the defensive linemen. They don't have them yet. So to the ability to play some of these guys in the back, these guys that you trust that are athletic and – can make plays and you can kind of rotate your defensive line. The scheme fits perfectly. Uh, I'm looking at that snap count thing. Um, I mean, Javon Gordon playing 13, he, he's basically a wash this year. He's a, he's basically irrelevant. That's not overly surprising to me personally. And I was about to say, eval wise, not to pat you on the back virtually through the screen here, but you mentioned you were not a huge Javon Gordon guy when he was coming through the recruiting process. I guess the way I'll frame this next question to kind of follow up to what you're talking about is like, how much different do you think this would be had both Iton and Gordon been what the coaching staff hoped they'd be, if that makes any sense at all? Do you think oh, it'd be I the think, same? Yeah, I think it'd be the same. They'd just be better at it. Okay. They'd just be enough. a more dynamic team. They could probably play everybody less snaps, rotate in more, uh, and just be a better football team on defense. Uh, that That's all it would have changed. I don't think this scheme – I think they implemented this scheme on purpose. They're not going to change it. And to to kind of support your argument in terms of like an example of what Ole Miss maybe hoped that would be is actually probably Arkansas, right? Because Arkansas does a lot of three-down linemen, a bunch of three-down – three linebacker sets. And the fact that they brought in those three transfers, the three guys behind them were in the mix for playing time last year. I, two of their yeah. names are escaping me. But the fact that they were able to bring in those kids was not only – 
good from a top line standpoint of how well they performed. They have two, I would say two and a half more behind them. And I can't, I had notes written down earlier that I don't have up because I just wrote down me and Greg's terrible gambling picks. But hmm. there's a third guy that I wasn't necessarily from naked eye as sure about in terms of him being actually good. But point being, they could have survived without those three transfers and not been as good. But now you have five and a half guys that are actually pretty good. And you yeah. could speak to this as, as good as anyone could. When you have that two deep rotation where you pretty much trust pretty much one and two at each defensive lineman spot you have, that's a game changer, is it not? In this day and age where you play sometimes 75 to 80 snaps a game, depending on how the way the game goes. It's a complete game changer. I mean, if, especially if you're going to implement that scheme where you've got three down linemen, that's tough. I mean, you're getting double teamed on the edge a ton. If you can get out there on the tackle, I mean, the, the other guy that's playing head up to the nose, if that's what you're doing, head up to the uh, center and then two four eyes or two four head up the, the tackle or whatever. I mean, that's just exhausting. And eventually you can get worn down throughout the game doing that. So if you have got five and a half to six guys that can you can trust, I mean, that gets you to at least – 65 snaps of non-exhausted football if that's what the offense is going to do on the other side it's it's huge do you think this becomes a narrative going forward for Ole Miss to where if they continue to struggle against the run we continue to talk about you know how much better or they just kind of live with what they are on the defensive line because I know they're not necessarily they want to be a linebacker but they're clearly better and more talented at linebacker than they are up front and the same goes for the secondary yeah. like in we're in late October and Ole Miss continues to struggle do you kind of envision this being the talking point it could be but I don't think that's necessarily fair or okay. exactly what the coaching staff is looking for I think Kiffin said it after might have been after Tulane or before Alabama, where this this defense is has some analytics in it as well. You know, it's got you're not going to be able to beat them over the top, so you're going to have to sustain drives. And the goal is to have one or two takeaways, you know, one or two or three stops a game, and then all of a sudden your offense is good enough to score enough points to where it doesn't matter. So he mentioned that once, and I think that they just don't care if they give up a ton of rushing yards. But they, what they don't want to do is just give up a bunch of touchdowns. So they can stop them in field goals in the red zone. They'll go goal line. They, we've seen them do it. I just – I think they'll bring a little bit more pressure in the red areas, but I don't think they're going to change this. And the talking point might be this defensive line is bad, and that could be true to an extent because the guys aren't exactly making a ton of plays. But it's just kind of the scheme of the defense. They're going to let them take some of these yards and hope they make a mistake on the way. Kind of shifting the focus to the other side where Arkansas had a pretty good offensive line. There has been – I feel pretty decent about saying this because, one, I'm not a reporter anymore, and, two, I feel pretty certain if you kind of – it's uh, whatever the saying is. I'm going to mix references here, but if it smells like whatever, it probably is whatever. Uh, Caleb Warren, I think, will probably miss this game for Ole Miss, and that Rhodes kid will be behind him. And you're coming off a week where the offensive line had its worst week of the year. Uh, considering Caleb Warren probably not playing this game, was told he was on crutches earlier this week. Again, not an official report. I'm not really in that capacity anymore, but I feel pretty good about saying it. How concerned are you about this Ole Miss offensive line fairing and their ability to run the football? Because that clearly, as you saw last week, is a kind of a make or break for this offense at times when they go against competent defenses. Yeah, they weren't overly impressive against Louisville. Had two pretty easy games. And then, yeah, they got dominated against Alabama. And losing Caleb 
it's definitely not good, but it's probably better than losing one of the other guys. I mean, if you lost Broker or James, even though James had a terrible game against Alabama, then you're like, well, who are these tackles behind us? They can probably find a guard like Bryce Ramsey or Melton or somebody. This South Carolina kid, color me shocked. I will be shocked if he plays legitimate snaps. Interesting. I, wa- I watched him go out against Austin P. That that did not look like a very good body to me. Um, but I could be wrong. I could, I've never seen the kid in practice, so I don't know. But they can mix and match and kind of re- play kind of what they did last year where they kind of rotated that left guard spot see who plays well during the game honestly it's literally how it went sometimes and uh, can make shift that position they have not played well I think they will play better they have to contain that 55 the, the Missouri kid uh, Williams he's a real player he's no Will Anderson or uh who's who's the Alabama guy Will Anderson yeah you got it Will Anderson yeah. absolute monster so, yeah. he's not that guy so you're gonna be at least a little bit better I'm not I think they'll play better I think it'll be a lot more to do with the Arkansas guys not being Alabama, but it's a bit a big loss. And I think he's looks like he's out for a little bit. So they'll have to, some guys play more snaps than they're expecting and someone's gonna have to step up. And then Neil reported on the board that Jerry on Ely is uh was the reason his snap count was low. And I think this was an important note to make was he was hearing that uh, he uh, Ely was in concussion protocol. And the reason I think mm-hmm. it's an important note was if you actually looked at kind of the trend of Ely's total snap count is that he wasn't necessarily playing a ton. Now, I think his snap count was in the teens this past week, so the fact that he was potentially in concussion protocol, according to Neil, actually makes a little more sense. But I'd argue that that doesn't make a difference. I'd put the entire focus on the offensive line because we talked about this ad nauseum on the Sunday show. Like, would you feel any worse going into a game? I say any worse. How like Would you feel significantly worse going into – a game with Parrish and Connor versus Parrish, Ely and Connor? Cause I wouldn't. No, not, 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 not necessarily. I've always said, I think Parrish needs more carries. Um, Snoop will get his, especially in the second half, which seems to be a trend. I did not know that about the Ely concussion thing. That kind of makes sense. Um, I think he actually might've had an issue with that last year. I think I can't totally remember that. Um, but yeah, that doesn't, you want Ely to be playing because he is a dynamic football player that makes you more versatile. But I'm not exactly sweating it knowing that you've got Parrish and Snoop who have both played incredibly well this year. Parrish might have been the only player besides Corral that played with a pulse against Alabama on both sides of the ball. Um, so, no, I mean, it's tough, and he's definitely an, a very good college running back. But they've got two guys, two and a half really, because Bullock has a shot to be a decent player. I agree, that, too. Uh, they can roll out there and be just fine. Yeah, and the, what do you make of the – I've gotten so many questions about this, and I probably should have asked you this on Sunday. I was like, what do you make of the Snoop, like kind of really only playing in the second half? I know we got, I believe, one drive in the second quarter against Alabama. Maybe I'm wrong on that. But what do you make of that? Because particularly down by the goal line in short yardage situations, I would rather have either him or Parrish down there by the goal line. Why do you think they're using him the way he is? I know Kiffin got this question throughout the week, kind of – I mean, he, I guess, halfway acknowledged a little bit. Maybe they'll reevaluate how they use him. But why do you think that is the case? My guess is he's probably just not as dynamic as a receiver as the other two are. And when you're playing in this offense, you want to be able to have five weapons out there the whole time. And Snoop, 
he isn't incapable of catching the football, but he's not as trustworthy, you know, on vertical routes, some of these outbreaking routes that you've seen Parrish and Ely be able to run with, you know, with ease, really. So when they're going through a drive, having a whole game plan ready and kind of have to scrap at least a part of that game plan, it probably leads to less snaps for him. And they've used him in the second half more, probably to wear down some teams because he's a load to tackle, but he, he just – in my opinion, he's not as versatile as Ely or Parrish, but he still is a very good running back and still, I do think, needs to get some more carries. Two things that before we kind of wrap up here and I get your overall prediction on the game, there were two things I missed on Sunday that I had written down to ask you that really in just the hour and 45-minute marathon that I drag you through every <laughs> Sunday now is, one, we didn't really talk about Ole Miss being – bad on third down so they entered Sunday's game 72nd in the FBS completing about converting about 39 percent I think it was technically 39.1 percent of their third downs I guess we'll start there what do you make of that because I know they're hyper aggressive on fourth down and we talked about the analytics book that they have on the sideline but at the end of the day the best way to avoid fourth down is to convert third down I don't really know a better way to ask this. What do you make of their struggles on third down this year? Because I feel like because of the explosive plays against inferior defenses through three games, that was something that was overshadowed a bit. Just what do you make of that in general? I I kind of thought about it, and I know NFL teams do this a little bit, but I do think they're being a little too conservative on third down, or maybe it's on purpose, but – knowing that these guys are going to go for it on so many of these fourth down situations, their play calls change on third down. They might be running the ball in a pass situation because they're going to catch them off guard. And if they get five yards and they need seven, well, they're going for it on fourth down anyway. So who cares? I think that has made it a kind of a weird variable in this third whole third down deal, but they have to be looking at it right now and saying to themselves, we've got to pull something different on third down. We've got to start trying to convert, <coughs> excuse me, convert more third downs more efficiently because it's it's been a problem even before the Alabama game. And I think, you know, we saw that if you can't convert your fourth downs with real efficiency, you've got to be able to get off or get the drive continued on third down. And I don't know what the what the solution is, but my guess is they've probably had to reevaluate their play calling on third down. You know, they, they'll run it when they're supposed to throw it, throw it when they're supposed to run it, shot plays on third and one, you run plays on third and nine sometimes. And last year it worked when they had a better offensive line, but this year it hasn't worked. And I think they've got to adjust that. Yeah, I agree with that. And I've never understood like in – parts of that line of thinking because you see it on Sundays every week you talk about NFL teams not really doing it I agree but like you have the announcer when the team's in like barely in plus territory and it's like third and seven it's like well you know even if they just get four here they have two down to get it it's like is that really any team's mindset because my mindset would be let's try to get seven or as close to it because it's like coming from a terrible gambler if you're sitting at a blackjack table had a couple cocktails in you and you're like down a little bit and you fire some bet that's quite risky and it's like all right well if this fails i'll just go all in on something else after this like you prefer not to have to do like it have to resort to that where at times it's felt like old miss has just been accepting or will very much willing to kind of go to the last resort that is fourth down because of the success they had in the past. And there's, I don't know. I think you probably spoke perfectly to the shifting mindset. Like, I think they should probably be a little bit more aggressive on third down. 
Yeah, the, the opposite of that thought, though, that you just had is your playbook is so much more open. The defense has to prepare for, for anything. If you're on the other team's 45-yard line, it's third and seven, you can still run the ball. And if the defense is playing a pass call, you know, playing like cover three or something or, or palms, you're going to have the numbers advantage and you might end up getting it. And even if you don't get it, you still are in that position where you're going for it on fourth down. However, they've had issues on both sides of the field, whether they're on their own 20 or the other team's 20. So there is got to be some, some changes there on their third down play calling. But the op, like I said, the opposite of that, your point is you can call anything on some of these third and mediums. Last random one before we wrap up and kind of get to your predictions is when you go up and down, and I know you've looked at Arkansas a decent bit kind of leading in this week and us doing this preview. How I've always wondered this because I'm so ignorant on recruiting in terms of like battles and who wins out for who. When you go up and down, who's playing for Arkansas or really just the roster in general, how much overlap is there between the guys that Ole Miss and Arkansas are trying to recruit? Like how familiar are you when you go up and down there too deep? And it's like, oh, I remember this guy. Oh, I remember this guy. How different, like just kind of give me a little bit of color and insight in terms of like how these two schools recruit against each other because you could argue they're on similar tiers in terms of the SEC hierarchy. Yeah, Arkansas recruits a very specific region. They know, just like they know exactly who they are as a football team, they know who they are as a football program. These guys, they recruit the best in Arkansas, and they do an incredible job of keeping them there. They attack some of the lower-level talent in Louisiana, South Louisiana, that LSU doesn't really want. They will smoke East Texas. They've done an incredible job, even with Chad Morris, because he had so many connections with SMU in East Texas in the Golden Triangle down there. And then they'll hit Memphis and a little bit of Nashville. That's it. That is where they go. They don't, they don't screw around with Florida. They rarely go to Georgia. They don't mess around in California. They may sneak in like Oklahoma, Missouri here or there, but they know exactly who they are. Um, and I'm kind of looking down. The, their 21 class, their best player was Keytron Jackson, who I think is in the two deep for them right now as a true freshman. He was a huge target for us. Maybe the top receiver we wanted last year ended up there because of the, you know, the Texas deal. I, they just got him. You know, it happens. Uh, Raheem Sanders, a kid that's been playing a lot of running back for them, is a hell of a football player, was a guy we wanted pretty badly. Um Looking down, Cole Carson's a tackle. I don't think he's playing for them yet. We recruited him. Jaden Wilson is a freak track guy that was a total project, but they they got him. Um, the class before that, um, Darren Turner and Marcus Henderson, like I said, they'll go to Memphis. Those are two guys we recruited, especially Marcus. Uh, Blaine Toll was a guy we recruited hard. Uh, and they've got like four or five guys from outside of New Orleans. I mean, they they do a really good job of evaluating and a really good job of knowing exactly who they are recruiting. But we got our fair share from them as well. Lakia Henry was a guy we beat him out for. Jaden Jackson was a guy we beat him out for. Um, Darius Thomas, unfortunately, he had that heart condition. He would be starting on this team. May, he's a, was going to be an incredible football player easily the biggest freak in that locker room. And unfortunately he couldn't play. Uh, There was actually a lot of battles here and there uh, between us and them. And really it's because they just were kind of in the regions, Ole Miss recruits as well. 
Is there a ceiling to what you can be as a program if you don't try to go dip into the Georgia and Florida market? Because there just seems to be a base level of talent. And you mentioned e- so they have East Texas, so it may, it may not matter as much, but do you think that can put a ceiling on your program when you don't even try in those areas? It just depends. In my opinion, no, because there's so – like they'll get their in-state guys. They can probably grab six to seven guys they really evaluate and care about. If you can grab another six and seven guys you like out of East Texas, grab a few out of Tennessee, maybe a few in Louisiana, all of a sudden you're at 20. And then now with the transfer portal, you don't even have to go other places. You can just go to other teams. So for like Arkansas, where you have like no presence in Florida, no presence in Georgia, you're not going to California, obviously, because no one's coming to Arkansas from California the more that you just kind of know where you're at, recruit the areas and develop relationships with the high schools around them. Eventually when a guy pops up, you know, Arkansas has been in that school 10 times outside of, you know, Fort Worth. So they know the kids, they might be able to beat out a team like Texas or Texas A&M or whatnot. So can it be a ceiling? Cause you can't go grab a five-star kid in Florida. Sure. But if you're Arkansas, why are you wasting your time and resources on a five-star from Miami? Odds are he's not going to Arkansas, at least at this point. So, in my opinion, no. I think they, they've done a good job knowing exactly what they're doing. And I haven't looked at their 22 class. Let me pull it up just for fun. They have 18 commits. Oh, my gosh. And, of course, they, they're best commits from Michigan. So, just completely ignore everything I said. <laughs> But then, but then the next, the next five kids are all from Arkansas, and they're all freaking phenomenal players. And Marion Harris is a beast. Chambly's a beast. Quincy McAdoo's a beast. This Nico Davillier, I remember him. Yeah. Then the next two guys are from Tennessee, outside of Memphis. Then the next guy's from Duncanville. Another guy from Memphis. Two more from Arkansas. Three more. Four more. Five more from Arkansas. So, yeah. I mean, there might be some outliers, but they damn near do exactly what I just said they do. And they do it pretty efficiently. Two things of just, I could go down this rabbit hole forever. Cause one, I don't know anything about it as I've mentioned in like two, I just find it fascinating. Like whether it's like people, I mean, you guys are on a whole different level having to do this for a living, but just the fact that you could guys remember all these people's names and who they are is just fascinating to me. I still don't know all my coworkers names. I've been there 18 months and you guys just know 160, 200 kids off the, off the top of your head. The last thing I'll ask, when you get like a kid like from Michigan who's committed to Arkansas, don't know the kid's backstory at all. I'm not expecting you to as well. When you're in a recruiting department, how like, because you always have that outlier. Like there's always a kind of a, not always, sometimes there's a wild card where there's a kid that's not from a certain footprint that just decides he wants to go here. How do you guys discover that? Like, do you know what I'm asking? Does that make any sense at all? Discover that a kid from Michigan is going to Arkansas or how do you discover a kid in Michigan? No, but vice versa. So like, the, I, like Ole Miss has had a couple of kids through the years where it's like, why did he come here from here? And then you'll hear just talking to people like you guys, where it's like, well, he always just kind of wanted to come here. Like what is the, it. what is like the link up where it's not your usual recruiting ground, but you figure out one, this kid's pretty good and he has interest. Is it you guys finding them or is it sometimes vice versa? Uh, it's almost always you finding him. Okay. That, that's usually you evaluate the kid, and then once you decide that he's a guy you want to offer or he's a guy you want to offer and take, you dig deeper and be like, is there any connection, you know, anywhere? Like the kid uh, 
Let me think about this. I think they're recruiting a wide receiver out of South Carolina, Ole Miss's right now, and his uncle played basketball at Ole Miss, like Murphy Holloway. Is that does that name make sense? Yeah. Okay, Murphy Holloway. That yeah, Murphy Holloway was here twelve thirteen. Him having a cousin in high school, I guess, is not totally unheard of. So yeah, that makes sense. Rock Hill is here, not right. Rock Hill, it's Irmo not, area. It, yeah, it's not unheard of. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. But then a kid uh, – so, like, that ha- that kind of crap happens all the time where you're just like, oh, my God, like, how the hell do we know this? Like, Mason Smith, the kid who started at LSU, is a freak defensive tackle. His mom works in Jackson under in, at a hospital underneath some Ole Miss doctor, and his dad watches Saints games out in New Orleans with Deuce every day. And okay. you're like, this kid's from Thibodeau, Louisiana. Like, how the hell is there connections? It, it's crazy – just all these athletes and their families and extended families. There's always something going on um, where you're like, oh, okay, there's a connection here. Let's further find out if he actually cares about coming here. It happens all the time. Makes sense. Last thing before I let you get out of here, how do you kind of see this playing out? Because I still tend to think Ole Miss probably wins this game at home. I think it's coin flip-ish. You know, I don't know what Ole Miss's health perspective is. I just think they tend to rebound and they tend to play better because I think this is probably a gauge of a competent coaching staff. Look, Freeze, when he was here, had a lot of bad poorly coached games, you know, Memphis and Florida being two of them in particular. LSU 2014 was the worst called football game I've ever seen in my entire life. Up there as well. And then he had his, had his quarterback just have a full-on meltdown in the fourth quarter. Awful. You nailed it there. Embarrassing. But, to your point, the kind of antithesis of that was LSU in 13, where they're down a bajillion yeah. dudes and they win in Oxford and Les right. Miles, probably a poorly called game, not called game, but poorly coached game by him. Point, like that's kind of what I was getting at. I was like, there's, you know, if you're a good coaching staff, like of course you'll have some stinkers, but like to me, this is kind of one where if you're a good coaching staff, you kind of find a way to get this done. How do you how do you kind of see this playing out? Yeah, like I said on Sunday, this this team is not sneaking up on Ole Miss. After what happened last year, I mean, Kiffin could not stop talking about this Arkansas game. I mean, they changed the defense to what Arkansas does. Truly will not be a letdown game for Ole Miss. It will be a letdown game. The only reason it will be is if it will be a letdown game, the only reason will be because they play poorly. That will be it. They They will be prepared. They will be ready. Um, the Alabama fatigue, what whatnot won't be a factor. I see Ole Miss winning this game. I don't know what the over-under on this game is, but I would guess under. Uh, I know Arkansas does not look explosive offensively, and even though Ole Miss looked poor against Bama, I think they will match up better with what Arkansas is going to do. They will not be shocked by what Kendall Bryles does because that's Levy's brother-in-law. They know exactly what they're going to do. You know, they've, they've been together. They know exactly each other's schemes, but that works in the other way as well. Um, but I think the quarterback corral kind of takes them over the edge. I think he makes a few more plays. 31-21 final score. Go under a little bit there. I don't even know what the line is. And I should know that. I should be preparing my losing bet for this weekend. <laughs> One line's at five and a half. I haven't as of as of this recording, I haven't looked at the over-under, but I would just assume with old miss games, it's probably in the 60s, even if you feel it's like slightly low score. I bet it's like what 65 or something. Yeah, it's- somewhere around there. I'm about to pull it up real quick for the sake of it just before we get out of here and try to figure this out. Cause I'm actually interested in that as well. Cause I agree, probably hit the under. Let's see. We are at of course, I can't find it. This is unbelievable podcasting. Let's see. 66 and a half. 
Yeah, uh, relatively close. Been doing this quite a while unsuccessfully, <laughs> by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that doesn't make that makes plenty of sense to me. I think Ole Miss wins and covers. I think Arkansas is incredibly beat up um, and Ole Miss will be ready for it. And who knows? Honestly, who knows? But I, I would I would lean Ole Miss pretty heavily. He is Weldon Rodenberg, semi-professional handicapper, former professional <laughs> recruiter, and current professional podcast carrier. I appreciate the time, dude, and we shall chat again Sunday. All right, partner. Have a good one. And that was Weldon Rodenberg. Appreciate his time. As always, he'll be back with us in his normal Sunday slot to recap what is sure to be an eventful game between Ole Miss and Arkansas. Before we get to Greg's picks really quickly, I want to go ahead and read the Skybox picks to make sure you guys have these. So the, y'all know the drill at this point, if you've been listening, if this is a first time, uh, Greg and I pick all the SEC games in college, plus a couple of others. And then we pick every game in the NFL just for entertainment sake. Clearly we don't, we don't play every game, but uh, just for record sake, we do that. Skybox rolls with us through the college games and then offers a couple NFL free plays. So I don't off the top of my head, remember the lines. I don't have them handy on me. But if you want to play Skybox and what they have free play, I'm just going to read you what they had in the picks. So they have Texas, which I believe is plus three and a half. Iowa, which somewhere was around two. Nebraska, which was somewhere in the three and a half range. Ole Miss, which is minus five and a half. Tennessee. I actually don't remember what that line was. I think ten and a half against South Carolina. Vanderbilt which is plus 38 and a half in Florida. That's a gross one from Skybox there, but whatever. They know math and stuff. Auburn, which is plus 18. North Texas, plus 18 and a half against Missouri. Kentucky, which is minus three and a half or minus three, somewhere in there against LSU. Uh, These lines are based off what me and Greg, you're about to hear from me and Greg in a second. So sorry if it's not exact. I'm reading this a day after the fact, delirious at 11 o'clock at night from Oxford and then Texas A&M. So they have Texas A&M up against Alabama. I think that's like around 18 as well. Who the hell knows? I recorded this a whole 24 hours ago. Then there are free plays. I do have the numbers on this. So if you're writing this down, uh, please don't write this down if you're driving, but NFL free plays, Bengals plus three, Miami, Tampa Bay over 48. That's Bengals plus three, Miami, Tampa Bay over 48. College football free plays, Oregon State minus three and a half, Auburn, Georgia over 46. So I'll run through their picks one more time without saying the line. Texas, Iowa, Nebraska, Ole Miss, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, Auburn, North Texas, Kentucky, A&M. So those are Skybox picks for the week. Really the only ones that matter because they do the math, analytics, and nerd stuff and actually win money instead of just lose and complain about it every week like Greg and I. So that is exactly what Skybox's picks are this week. Wanted to make sure you guys had that. We'll be back to a normal schedule of Skybox picking alongside us next week, which is kind of a bit of a travel uh, travel and recording issue at this point uh, this week. So one exception. But uh, anyway, here is Greg and I making our sure-to-be-wrong picks and uh, buckle up. All right, we now welcome on Greg the Meat Sharp Jones. It is another week of Fresh Cut sponsored by both LBs and Skybox Sports Picks because of, uh, we'll call it time constraints. Greg and I are having to record a little early because of my travel plans heading back to Oxford this weekend. Skybox is not going to be along for the ride with us, 
Um, I uh, typical uh, me fashion just kind of looked up at like two o'clock today and was like, oh, I can't record what we normally record because I'm going to be in the air uh, on Thursday night. So I got Skybox's picks after the fact. I will probably read them before or after this interview. So you will get the full dosage of Skybox picks this week. They're just not going to be along the ride for us on the college games. But uh, you know the drill. We're going to pick all the SEC games, a fascinating NFL slate to get to as well. But before on the other end of the line, Greg, the meat sharp Jones, what's happening, man? Oh, what's up, man? Just, uh, you know, another weekend. Uh, got a home game this weekend, and you're coming in town. I mean, we have done a podcast at the library, so, I, I mean, we could probably pull off a podcast in the, in the air. You know, that would, be, uh, that would be another feather in the cap. Let's correct the record, though, not for any sort of moral high ground senses because I have no standing. You have done a podcast at the library. I have yet uh, to do it. So maybe we could pop that cherry to where I could, uh, I could finally do a podcast at the library. So we'll have to uh, – we, we probably should do a, you know, a, a live feed from the library on, on like before this, before the game kicks off or something like that. Something like that. You're going to have to either start, uh, you're going to have to start dispatching from random places and topping it every week or one, you're going to have to start lying. I was about to ask you where you're dispatching from. You know, it was the library three weeks ago, which we're pretty sure we made podcast history. I reached out to Guinness um, and they haven't gotten back to me yet. Same with Ripley's believe it or not. We're still waiting on that from the library then i believe we had you were at home in your natural environment and then last week it was a little late night snack at lb's munching on some wings with a bob baffert shirt where are we in the world this week uh we are in uh como mississippi uh i'm at my house and uh i'm just you know uh getting all cozy and getting ready for this weekend because uh i think it's going to be a good weekend uh lb's is going to be open on saturday from two to six so we'll be closed from 11 to to two, I mean, 11 to 10 to 10 to one, just because of the football game, it's just hard for us to compete against Ole Miss football. So we're going to be closed on Saturday. So we'll be open two to six on Saturday and then the regular hours from one to six on Sunday. So, um, yeah, man, just getting ready for this weekend. I mean, you know, uh, kind of, kind of, uh, I wouldn't say disheartening, but like, uh, the Rebs or the Hogs didn't play really good last week, and uh, but this is a very important game. I know there's a lot of Ole Miss fans that are butt hurt. We can only go, you know, eleven and one this year, but uh, eleven and one is still a pretty solid record. I think that would be the first time that happened since a guy named Johnny Vaught was coaching. So I'd say, yeah, that's a pretty good record. But you're right, and uh, to kind of get to your to your store hours uh, first. You know, I always joke around that uh, in our, in your ad read at the top of these shows that like LBs at this point needs no advertising. Uh, pretty much everyone knows the drill at this point. But it, to kind of add on to what you're talking about as far as your Saturday hours, that's kind of perfect. Um, even if you're going to the game on Saturday, I mean, look, you probably ta- go to the game, maybe tailgate a little bit afterwards, then rip by LBs to get some stuff to throw on the grill and catch the night games that night. That honestly sounds like uh, a picture-perfect Saturday evening, particularly – uh, if you're a local or have a place and by have a place, I mean, just like not renting a hotel or something like that, where you can kind of ha- kick it on the back porch, wherever, throw something on the grill and watch the night game. That's a, that's a hell of a Saturday afternoon. And that's a, uh, that's a great way to uh, kind of make the best of an 11 o'clock game. I was a little bummed out. This was, I'm debating coming back to uh, one of the later ones, whether that be LSU or Texas A&M, I hadn't really decided the logistics, but I knew that Arkansas was the really the only one, if I was going to do it for sure, uh, to kind of lock in and make feasibly work with just kind of the schedule uh, I've had so far. And of course the first game I'm going to get back to uh, kind of come back and see some family and kind of do the, I guess what you would call the normal Grove tailgating experience and get to see some folks I haven't seen in a while 
uh, for the first time in really about six, seven years, I've been able to kind of experience the game day uh, thing from a non-working standpoint. Of course, the damn thing is at 11 o'clock in the morning. My, <laughs> my girlfriend's mom texted me. So they're from, she's from Texarkana, Texas. And uh, for those of you that don't know, if you could probably use context clues, Texarkana is on the Texas-Arkansas border. Uh, you can thank me later for that knowledge nugget. But they're like, but that's a big Arkansas hotbed in terms of where like the, the kind of pipeline kids going to school. And so this is their big weekend as well. So that's another aspect that worked out pretty well. So they're coming. They don't make very many trips just because they uh, obviously didn't go to Ole Miss. They don't really have the allegiances and it's a long way for them. So the Arkansas game is kind of the one they kind of do it big every year. Um, I'm sure her dad will be popping by LBs to pay you a visit. He uh, loves that place. But anyway, she doesn't, like, she didn't really know how the game time works. And so she texted me last like Wednesday and was like, I can't find the game time anywhere. It keeps telling me two different times. And so I had to uh, explain to a uh, uh, sweet Miss Boudreaux who doesn't watch football, what uh, flexing a game and kicking the can down the road means and explain that it could be at 11 or two, but it was probably 11. And she was uh, not happy about that one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, uh, in, in a perfect world, uh, every uh, Ole Miss would be on the, the main channel on CBS at 2.30 every year, but uh, not right now. But, uh, yeah, just uh, it would have been awesome if, uh, you know, Arkansas and Ole Miss were both undefeated and playing the 2.30 game. But, uh, unfortunately, uh, Georgia and Alabama are just on another level. Yeah, and I kind of joke about the 2.30 game, the 11 o'clock game sucking. And don't get me wrong, from like a tailgating like perspective, it's not the most ideal setup from, I'm sure, a crowd and environment perspective. Although I did anticipate it's still a pretty good crowd. Like it won't be like the, the greatest thing in the world, obviously. But like I, one of the things I enjoyed about like the – obviously media loves the 11 a.m. games, but you can kind of have the rest of your day to watch football and keep up with the rest of the slate. I remember being a younger college student – and, you know, the one downside of kind of going to the Grove and you know, getting a little lit on some Evan Green label is uh, unless you really had a prime setup, you weren't really tuned into the rest of the college games that day in the full on college slate. So, like, you know, nope, you know, from Ole Miss fans perspective, Ole Miss wins. You go to the bar after catch pretty much all the afternoon games and all the night games. It's not the worst thing in the world if you can kind of get up and get yourself going for the day. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. I mean, it's uh, hopefully the Rebels are up uh, 28 to 7 at halftime and uh, you can leave the game, uh, stop at the uh, tent for, you know, maybe another toddy or two and then uh, maybe finish watching the game in the Grove or just, you know, hop on over to the library and get another drink there. Or you can just get in your car and go to LB's, order, uh, get a couple steaks, go back to your condo and uh, have your drink of your choice and uh, hang out and uh, click click on the clicker uh, all day yeah that honestly sounds like the that sounds awesome to me i've traveled three weekends in a row for various weddings and then obviously this one so like next weekend i'm kind of looking forward to catching the like sitting on the couch and kind of doing nothing it's hard to beat those saturdays sometimes but whatever you got to do what you got to do i went to a wedding in sea island georgia last weekend and uh, saw some folks i hadn't seen in a while you know everybody gets spread out and then you come back and these things basically turn into reunions um, before we get to the picks, I got a little life advice to throw on you. Uh, I kind of a move I figured out over the last week is when, uh, so you walk into a group, you hadn't seen them in a while. I, I just kind of now throw out a blanket congratulations whenever I see someone, because if you're wrong and nothing significant's happened in their life, they're like, oh, this guy must just be kind of drunk or mistaking something or two, you know, if they have had something significant happen, perhaps an engagement, perhaps a new job, then you're covered. You just throw out a blanket congrats. Have you ever pulled that move? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's a genius because, I mean, you know, uh, you try to keep up with them on Facebook and try to keep, you know, keep up with what you can uh, because you got so much going on in your own personal life. But, uh, yeah, I think a, a solid congratulations. My, my advice, my life's advice is if somebody asks you and you haven't seen them in a while how they're doing, like, please don't answer living the dream because I just don't just <laughs> – I just don't understand that. Like, I mean, it, I mean, I don't know what kind of dream you've been living. Like you could be, I don't know, like not working and going on vacation every, I, I just, I don't know what, what the dream is. So just, uh, you know, I, I would say, like you say, just uh, roll up and just say, Hey guys, you know, congratulations, you know, just be real casual with it. And they're like, why is he congratulating us? And then you hopefully uh, roll with the punches. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, there's limits to it. You don't want to be taking it too far. I mean, I've been in a group where uh, Buddy had a couple of, I would say a couple of too many at the pregame or whatever. And we went to this engagement party and he started tossing out a couple of happy birthdays. We had to calm him down a little bit there. You don't want to go too far on it, but uh, that's always just a move to keep in your back pocket. The other one's carry cash. Uh, that's always a solid one. No, it carries cash these days, but when you're kind of out in a destination, it can, uh, it can come in handy at times. That's all the life advice I have. We have a uh, full slate yeah, of games. It, uh, either that, I mean, sometimes the uh, what's your Venmo kind of works sometimes too. That's also true. That's also a uh, always a solid one to uh, play out. And then, you know, everyone says the same thing too when you haven't seen someone. Well, what you been up to? Not much working. Uh, maybe occasionally you'll mix it up. I'm just been like, nah, you know, man, I'll tell you what's been up. I've just gotten really into LSD, selling it, doing it. It's been kind of my mid 20s thing. You know, I, I'm just, uh, I, I've just been living the dream. You know, I've uh, started selling uh, synthetic heroin and making a lot of money. And uh, you, you should uh, you should get into it. It's uh, it's it's the new thing. <laughs> That's true. The one acceptable exception to your rule about don't say living the dream is just say I've been living on a cloud for quite a while. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've just been in the clouds, you know, you know, the clouds where they're real light, fluffy. Yeah, I've just been living up in there. That's it's, it's actually real casual. Speaking of clouds, we are not on cloud nine from a uh, wagering perspective last week. We uh, skated out of college at four and four. You were four and four. I was four and four. Skybox was four and four. You and I were uh, both one and oh on our locks. So that wasn't too bad. The NFL was not as kind to us. I finished at seven and seven, but two and three on my locks. And then you came out at four and 10, but you were two and two on your locks. So a brutal slate last week at the NFL I was listening NFL, back to the NFL podcast. NFL was not good to us last week. Yeah. It, Shame on them. It, it was not. Um, I was honestly pretty astonished that I came out at seven and seven. Um, but kind of listening back to the games or listening back to some of the podcasts, there are, I think, some picks that uh, I may have made on a Thursday night that didn't actually see the card. So it was really actually worse. But uh, technically on the picks, I guess I was seven and seven. But I don't even know how much that counts. Uh, Skybox was one and one on the free plays in the NFL, 0 and two in college. Uh, Skybox entered the week six and one on the free plays they'd given the listeners. They had a five and two week in the NFL to follow up their nine and one week. So Skybox has gone seven and oh, excuse me, seven and one. I think they had a losing week, week two. I can't remember exactly what it was. I hope I'm not slandering Skybox there, but I think they were a little below on that. And then nine and oh last week, excuse me. I think it was seven and oh, nine and one, and then five and two last week. So they're hammering the NFL and they're kind of riding the wave on college, really like everyone's been. College has been a rough go of it. And last week, I think, was a big correction week for both the NFL and the college. It was the first real slate of college games where 
you didn't have any snoozers. And it was kind of the first time you're learning a lot about teams like, you know, Ole Miss and uh, Arkansas and Alabama, where we didn't know a ton about them yet. So there was a correction to be had. We ran into it, but we came out on the other side and we are living to see another week. And that is uh, all that matters because uh, we'll get back on the horse and just win it all back this week. Oh, yeah. Like I said, I mean, uh, pick a long shot and uh, pull the trigger and see if it goes for first. I mean, that's another thing that's what's so good about Skybox. I mean, like you need to get in on get in with them on first week so you just have their plays throughout the year. I mean, of course, they're doing really good right now, but as soon as you, you know, pay for the subscription, you know, they, they go two and one, two and four or something like that. You know, it's just uh, it's hard to stay consistent on betting, especially the NFL. The NFL's tough. Yeah, and week to week, like you're exactly right. Like if you're going to kind of ride with them, particularly with a sport as much volatility as college football, and that's kind of a oxy, an oxymoron in its own right because this whole entire stupid thing that we do is volatile on its own. Like, you know what I mean? But with this much kind of like bullshit that happens in college, you really got to kind of ride with them for a year. And the same goes for the NFL, although they've had ridiculous, uh, ridiculous run in the NFL through four weeks so far. But you're right in the sense that like you kind of need to buy in for the year. Because if you buy in for a week and, you know, they have a down week or something and you're kind of like, oh, what are these guys about? It's like, that's not really how this works. Like their whole idea is to make you profit for the year. And that's kind of how that's kind of how they get you. And that's how they are uh, certainly very good at their job, as we've described it. Uh, I guess we call it the math and the nerd stuff, per se. But uh, (laughs) the nerds and the math guys won out last week. Got a pretty good slate this week of games. Um I will go all the SEC games and then we'll bounce around a little bit. Let's start. We won't start with Ole Miss because I always like to put that towards the end in the middle. Let's start with another 12 o'clock SEC game. Tennessee coming off an absolute shellacking of Missouri in Columbia. We were both all over that um, big time. I remember describing that as just kind of, look, I'll take the better coach here. I think Heupel, even though he doesn't have very good talent, is a pretty good coach. Weldon's a big Heupel guy and has kind of gotten me on the train as well. We were both all over that. I think it was like plus two or something, and they won like 62 to 24. They are hosting South Carolina, and Tennessee is minus 10 and a half. South Carolina barely sneaks past Troy this past week. And I got to say, I'm not liking the Gamecocks' chances. Really, all I can the only good thing I can say about them is that they play hard for uh, for Shane Beamer, but they're not very talented. And uh, I was, you know, I was a little surprised that Tennessee went with the Hendon Hooker kid over Milton. But or excuse me, Skybox was five and four. We didn't pick the Troy game last week. I was just looking this up. They had Troy. South Carolina did not cover. Uh, I don't think. If I'm not mistaken. No, they covered. I think they were uh, favored by seven and a half. I think they won by like 13. Okay, so that put us actually all at four and five. I think we all had Troy on that. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Whatever. Uh, They're just not very talented. I think Tennessee's kind of put it together a little bit. I think I'm going to lay the 10 and a half here. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you. I mean, you know, uh, it it just goes to show when a new coaching staff comes in, you know, they're, you know, pressing the reset button on everything, uh, offense, defense, special teams, you know. So, with that being said, I, I think that, you know, uh, Tennessee's kind of figuring it out and, uh, you know, they can score some points. And I think that uh, Ole Miss-Tennessee game next week should be a pretty interesting one in Knoxville. So, with that being said, I mean, if uh, Tennessee uh, blows out South Carolina here by two touchdowns, I think that uh, that Ole Miss-Tennessee game will be very interesting next week. 
Yeah, and that's kind of something you could see coming from the preseason on. You know, the first couple of weeks, particularly heading, you know, the week before, well, heading into Ole Miss's bye week, I was like, hey, I don't even know if that game's going to be close. I think Ole Miss is too good offensively. But I still expect Ole Miss to probably go in there and win that game. But you're right, it's certainly far from a certainty uh, at this point with the way since he looked. I'd like to kind of see it, though, against someone with the pulse because I think Missouri's defense is very bad. So, you know, but Tennessee, to their credit, is kind of figuring some things out. And, you know, that's really all you kind of want for a first-year head coach is inheriting the situation that Hypo did is just to win a couple games, maybe win one you weren't expecting. I would firmly put the Tennessee-Missouri game in the coin flip capacity and uh, kind of look good doing it. So they've, they've checked all of those boxes so far for sure um, for the most part. So, yeah, I'll lay the 10 and a half here, and I don't really have much problem with it. So kind of yeah. keep keeping it moving on that one. We'll go to the other 11 a.m. game that is not Ole Miss. You got three 11 a.m. games in the uh, SEC slate, I believe, and that is going to be Florida and Vanderbilt. Florida had one of the all-time kind of Dan Mullen pissing down his leg type of deals. They outgained Kentucky by what, like 180 yards, even in the turnover battle. Kentucky threw for like 76 yards, and Kentucky wins the game by a touchdown. Dan Mullen didn't have much trouble with Kentucky at state, but has had some trouble in Lexington of late in particular. That's a really bad loss. With that being said, uh, hold your nose on this line. This is Florida in the swamp, minus 38 and a half. To me, this is a stay away central. Of course, for the sake of this podcast, we're always going to make the picks, but uh, how in the world do you lay 38 and a half, even though it's Vanderbilt, given what Florida's kind of been up and down and looked like over the past couple of weeks? Um, Vanderbilt did not cover the minus 16 against UConn. They actually only technically won the game by uh, by two points. Yeah. It might be the grossest game of the year in college football. Um, if it's not, uh, it will be uh, probably UConn-UMass this week, in which UConn is actually a favorite over UMass, which if you can wrap your brain around that one. But anyway, it is Florida minus 38 and a half. I've kind of uh, go ahead and thrown up the flag, I guess, on both of our behalves. You would probably agree this is a stay away, but, you know, we pick them all here. What, uh, where are you leaning? Man, you know, um, it's, it's a lot of points for an SEC matchup. And I know, you know, Vanderbilt is not your uh, mom and pop SEC program. But with that being said, you know, it can easily be 45 to 10. It can easily be 55 to 10. It can be easily be 42 to nothing. Um, you know, it, it can go either way. I don't see Vanderbilt, you know, um, um, you know, staying in, in, but I can see them covering that point spread. You know, I can see maybe a late touchdown for the cover, you know, maybe, for, you know, 42, 10 with five minutes to go in the fourth quarter and Vanderbilt scores an unnecessary touchdown for the cover, you know, maybe it's just uh, a stay away central. So I'd probably, I'm going to go with Vanderbilt on this just because uh, I like betting on bad teams. <laughs> Took the words out of my mouth there. I guess I'll go with you. This just kind of for the humor's sake. You know, we, I, I think you went Georgia a couple of weeks ago, but I convinced myself of, you know, at 35 is probably too many points. Vanderbilt at home as if that matters in the slightest. And Georgia was uh, up 35 to nothing in the first quarter. Uh, but whatever. Um, I've never been accused of being smart. So we'll, uh, we'll roll with the Vanderbilt plus 38 and a half. And I don't think there is a ton of reason to spend a bunch more time on that game. We'll move to the afternoon slate and kind of circle back to Ole Miss at the end here in terms of the SEC games, Georgia, 
Auburn, the uh, other side of the uh, art, the uh, the uh, Boudreaux uh, flex debate. That would be Miss Boudreaux, my girlfriend's mom. Uh, not happy about uh, being on the wrong side of that. Two thirty CBS game. Bo Nix coming off the game of his career, probably without a shadow of a doubt. So he gets benched against Georgia State two weeks ago. Uh, did you see? So I didn't catch a ton of this game. I caught a decent bit of the second half at the hotel bar I was staying at last week down in Georgia. Um, did you see some of these? But did you watch the game or see some of these Bo Nix highlights? The man was like, like running it around like Johnny yeah, Manziel. I mean, it, it like, it was unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, he looked like Archie Manning slash Johnny Manziel, like you know, just a full help combo of the whole uh, you know versatile quarterback. But yeah, uh, that one play he made, you know, I. It was pure luck, but, you know. That was uh, a great call out. by you, right? That one play you're talking about actually looked like one of the old-fashioned Archie highlights. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of awkward. But, yeah, uh, man, you know, uh, I, I have a couple LSU fans on my Twitter feed, and I think the uh, Death Valley was cleaned out by the, right at the fourth quarter, and it was a three- or four-point game. And just, uh, man, I guess Ogeron's kind of lost control over that situation up, uh, down there. Yeah, so Weldon, my Sunday partner, who's actually going to be on the front end of this show that probably you've already heard by now listening to this part of it. He was So he's a Baton Rouge guy. He was actually at the game, and he was saying that it wasn't full from the start, and even when LSU was winning a rather boring game at halftime, I know it was raining, but people were starting to file out. And look, I get it. I'm not going to, like, knock fans for not wanting to sit around in the rain to watch a 13 to seven game or whatever it was at halftime, but uh, that's death Valley, dude, that doesn't really happen. And it's to be three quarters of the way full. And then people falling out at halftime uh, with LSU winning the game as ugly as it may have looked. Uh, this is, this is over for Ed. Yeah. It was probably I mean, over before this week. It was probably over after the UCLA game. We're being completely honest, but uh, you're really going to start to see this spiral because uh, I don't know if you've checked out LSU's schedule, and we're going to get to them here in just a second, but at Kentucky this week, home against Florida, at Alabama, uh, excuse me, at Ole Miss, bye week, at Alabama, home to Arkansas. Which game would you pick them to win out of those? Because my answer is zero. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it looks like the writing's on the wall, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I guess you can say that he won a national championship with a you know unbelievable dream team. But you know, other than that, you know, he's he has not hired the right uh, replacements for that coaching staff after that national championship year. And uh, you know, you got to hire the right people, and you got to surround yourself uh, with with good coaches. And he did that that national championship year, and then all of a sudden, just the wheels and everything fall off. I think, like I said, Ole Miss is in a good spot. They just need to rebound this week and. Uh, you know, play a good game and then uh, you know, find a way to win at Tennessee and then, uh, you know, roll up LSU at home. So uh, it, it easily can be, you know, six and one, uh, six and one uh, record uh, going into uh, the uh, after the LSU game. So just uh, got to stay positive. Uh, agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, so it is Auburn plus 16. I probably beat around the bush there and took a while to get to the line. Uh, Georgia just like to get absolute uh, wagon last week to kind of use a bit of a hockey term there um just all over i think stetson billet only threw he was like seven of 11 for like 71 yards or something and they still won 37 to nothing this georgia defense is legit but it is 16 points and auburn's not bad 
So I'm a little conflicted on this. I'm probably going to regret it, but I'll go Auburn plus 16 on the uh, at home here against Georgia. I don't know. I mean, if this game's 28 to 10 and not overly competitive, and then Auburn punches one in to make it a final at 28-17, Georgia still gets out of there with a double-digit victory, and everyone probably that watched it probably knows that it wasn't as close as it was. So I guess I'll take the 16 points at home because I'm just like worried I'll be on the wrong side. But then again, I can't get it in my brain that Georgia doesn't really allow touchdowns, but they've allowed one. They allow, they've allowed one offensive touchdown, I'm pretty yeah, sure, this year, if that. So maybe call me an idiot. I guess I don't – I guess I'm just probably not going to get on Georgia until November until they start kind of playing close games or get a little injured and uh, don't cover. So whatever, take my money. I'll go Auburn plus 16. Man, I'm going to go with uh, Georgia. I just think Georgia and Alabama are just on a – different level. I mean, whenever you watch Georgia and Alabama play, you know, it's the old school NFL. Uh, the splits are, are, you know, not far. They're not spaced out. They don't do the zone blocking speed, like uh, blocking, you know, kind of like these speed options that, you know, uh, Ole Miss runs and, you know, the kind of the spread offense, like they just hammer you and uh, they, they keep hammering you. They control the ball. They don't, make penalties. They don't drop the ball and everything like that. I just, I think the Georgia and the Alabama is just on another level. I, I can, I can easily see uh, Georgia winning like 42 to 10. So I, I, I like Georgia a lot here. Agree. I mean, you're congrats on being smarter than me. Um, I'm almost just like holding out hope that we're not on the same collision course. You know, we spent the first four weeks of the college football season talking about how like, well, you could have a weird year in college football. And then after what both schools did to kind of up and coming contenders in the West or up and coming disruptors in the West would probably be a better way to describe Ole Miss and Arkansas. It very quickly became after that. No, we've got two teams that are better than everyone else in college football. It's kind of interesting to hear a sitting head coach in Lane Giffen just pretty much openly admit that uh, in his Monday press conference. It's like, yeah, but it seems like it's those two and then everyone else. So we're going to see how we fare against everyone else. So congrats on being smarter than me there. That's certainly the smart way to go. Uh, here's a gross one. Kentucky coming off of a huge win at Florida. Uh, I kind of rehashed that one earlier. Terrible. Really not a great loss for Dan Mullen, but Kentucky doesn't doesn't look pretty, but all they do is kind of win games. Uh, that roster is good. The quarterback play, I guess you could say, has just been good enough, even though the last three weeks it has been uh, certainly below average. It's Kentucky minus three and a half against uh, LSU in Lexington. That was a wild environment last week about as good as Kentucky could do from an environment standpoint to their credit Kroger field can get kind of pretty rowdy at night games when they have good teams there's been a couple of pretty raucous environments there that have looked cool on tv and that whole thing they're a legitimate sec east program and in good position to finish second in the east behind Kentucky uh, I'm all over Kentucky minus three and a half and I'm not going to use that as why one college lock this week I always forget to explain the rules we get five locks in the NFL one in college, those are a little bit tallied a little bit differently, not that our total matters at all with the way we're, we're picking games. But I'm all over Kentucky monitoring up. LSU can't run the football, and uh, that's going to be a problem against Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, if there was one place I would rather be than anywhere else other than Oxford, Mississippi, it would be Lexington, Kentucky this weekend. Uh, Keeneland opens up Friday, so uh, you'll be able to go Saturday. You can wake up. Uh, Saturday morning, go to Keeneland, watch some uh, good horse racing, and then uh, take about a, an hour break, and then head to the uh, to the football game at six thirty. They actually work. Keeneland actually works their 
uh, time, you know, their track times around Kentucky football. So you can be able to bet the horses and then turn around and go to a game. So I think that would be a smashing good time. I'm, uh, I'm locking up Kentucky too with you. I just think that, uh, you know, uh, whenever, um, I was watching that game and it was, uh, they were, uh, Florida was attempting the field goal, you know, Kentucky blocks it, you know, it's a perfect bounce. Uh, you know, he has a convoy, he returns it for the touchdown. I was just like, you know, Kentucky doesn't look, look, you know, impressive, but they get it done. So, uh, I just definitely, I can definitely see, uh, them getting done for sure. I think the minus three and a half is a present. Yeah, I think that maybe it's too good to be true, but I'm uh, all over that one with you. Second to last SEC game before we get to the Ole Miss games, I guess third to last total. Missouri coming off that 62 to 24 loss at home to uh, Tennessee is playing North Texas. Um, you know, this is probably the classic game where if someone doesn't do any research, like, oh, North Texas, they played in some bowl games. They had a quarterback from Alabama that I've probably heard in the last couple of years that I'd heard of. Uh, I might lay the mean green here. They're terrible. They lost UAB 40 to six. They lost to that La Tech team that almost beat state. And they lost 35 to 12 to SMU. Their only win is 44 to 14 to open the year against Northwestern State. Uh, I have no idea why you would ever throw your heart, cold, hard cash on this game. But it is, uh, let's see, what is it? It is Missouri minus 18 and a half. Uh, this, is, this is almost just beneath us, but whatever. I, I guess I'll go Missouri. I, I don't know. Where are you going? Yeah, I mean, I, that North Texas uh, uh, schedule uh, results that you just uh, just named out what sounds terrible. So Right, but uh, our dumb brains, like if you don't do any research, you're like, yeah, whatever, North Texas. Missouri's terrible. <laughs> well, it's actually North Texas is probably terrible too. I will say that North Texas, uh, they do have uh, some kind of symbolicness uh, to them. They are one of the uh, uh, mascots that doesn't end in an S. Yeah, so, being green uh, over here in Denver, little, about 35 little, minutes north of me. Little little fun fact. Uh, so, uh, mean green is uh, one of the uh, mascots that doesn't end in S, along with, you know, there's some other ones, but, you know, I won't name them all. But, uh, yeah, with that being said, I just think Missouri gets back on track. I mean, I know that defensive line is terrible. Uh, Neil McGrady said that he has covered some terrible Ole Miss defensive lines, and he's also uh, seen this defensive line uh, in action, and they are the worst of all time. So uh, I'm just going to take Neil's advice and uh, just say that uh, Mean Green uh, just doesn't is, – is, is terrible enough to where I think Missouri wins, let's say, 45 to, 45 to 14. Doesn't that sound pretty reasonable? Yeah, I think it uh, I think it certainly does. Uh, I trust Neil's opinion on their defensive line. I hadn't been totally locked into Missouri this year. And by that, I think I watched two and a half quarters of them against Boston College, and that was enough for me. So uh, we'll get to the last SEC game before Ole Miss here. And this is one of the ones that S the uh, CBS kind of flubbed up, what they get like two flexes a year. And, you know, you got to kind of do it before the season. Now, what I mean by flex, they go out of their normal 230 slot and go to the 8 o'clock night game, or 7 o'clock, excuse me, the CBS night game. You used to get it for Alabama LSU, uh, if you guys will remember that, if you're not totally familiar with what I'm talking about. They did it for A&M Alabama. And, of course, in hindsight, it looks stupid, right? A&M's a disaster. They're coming off a terrible loss to Mississippi State at home where, you know, anytime you lose a game like that, everyone's going to point to the $95 million contract they gave to Jimbo Fisher and they're like, what the hell are these idiots doing? And rightfully so, the people are not wrong to do that. So they're in a bad place. They're not very good offensively, and the defense has been a lot worse 
uh, than I think people probably would have guessed they were. That's really the only reason they were a preseason top 10 team was the defense, and they haven't been very good. Arkansas ran all over them. State threw all over them. Um, just not very good overall. They are at home, College Station, against Alabama. It's plus 18. Look, I'm not going to do it, but I, I could. can't you see the entire world is on Alabama here because of what you saw last week and then somehow A&M covers? Like, the, to me, this is a game where Vegas wrecks folks, but I'm not going to be that dumbass that does it. So, Bama minus 18. I won't overcomplicate this. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, and that's the thing about it is it's like, uh, you try to uh, be smart with your money and you try to bet on good football teams and you try to stay away from betting on bad football teams. And you just got to use common sense here. I mean, I just uh, – yes, I can maybe see uh, maybe Texas A&M uh, hanging in there for maybe a quarter or so, but the talent on the other side of the ball is just too much. And, you know, I know that uh, Texas A&M's quarterback got hurt in the first game, but, I mean, like, is he that – was he that important to where they lose Mississippi State, you know, as a as a double digit digit favorite? I'm and, with you. So, they may have beaten State, but I'm not sure this looks that much better in totality with Haynes King. I'm kind of with you there. Yeah, I mean, so with that being said, I mean, you know, um, it, it was funny. I think Ross Bjork tweeted something that, uh, you know, despite the two outcomes of the last two games, you know, uh, the twelfth man is stronger than ever well that's great ross but with that being said you know you might you're going to be paying jimbo fisher for probably 10 to 15 years uh looking for a, you know a coach to replace him so i just think alabama just hammers them uh just uh and it just gets bad and uh with that being said you just want to bet on good uh good teams so i'm gonna put my money on one of the best teams in the in the country right now so i'm gonna go with alabama Ross is ready to tell their side of the story in the second half of the season when they get Haynes King back. But uh, I'm with you on that. Uh, last one, obviously, Ole Miss against Arkansas, 11 a.m. game. Uh, I will be in attendance in this one. I don't know why I keep reiterating that as if anyone cares. But uh, anyway, 11 o'clock game. This game started at like six and a half. So you notice a trend. Maybe it's just because I'm on the Rebel Grove message board too much. When someone posts the initial lawn for Ole Miss games this year, Whenever I go look at it, and I'm, I'm privy to how this works. I'm not an idiot in that sense, in terms of how the minutia works. I'm a terrible at this, like doing this. But have you noticed a trend where the initial line that has been dropped for a couple of missed games this year has not actually been any resemblance of what the actual line ends up being? Because I swear the first one I saw was like Ole Miss minus three and a half. And I was like, well, that actually kind of sounds right. But then everywhere else I saw was six and a half. Maybe I'm alone in that theory and I sound crazy, but I swear I've noticed that this year. As of this recording, it is the Ole Miss Rebels minus five and a half at home against the Arkansas Razorbacks. Massive game for both programs. I did a huge open on it on the uh, what the Wednesday podcast, uh, just kind of talking about why we'll learn a hell of a lot more about both Ole Miss and Arkansas this week than we did a week ago. It's not really groundbreaking news, but I kind of rolled some reasons into why we'll learn that. Um, you know, I'm not necessarily known as an eternal optimist. I could probably be described as the opposite of that. But I just think Ole Miss, and with both, it's, a, it's the case with both programs to a degree that, you know, I, it's just they weren't quite up to snuff against two of the most, two of the elite programs in the country, the two elite programs in the country. So now what? And Arkansas is going to try to run it on Ole Miss. It's not going to be as potent, but they're going to do it with more consistency I and mean, with more dedication, I think, because they quite literally can't really throw the ball. Um, so I'm interested to see how Ole Miss adjusts, but uh, I actually think this Ole Miss offense, 
Uh, Jaron Ely, Neil reported earlier, is a bit banged up. I don't know his availability for Saturday. I'm not sure it matters a ton. There's a hot take for you. I think Ole Miss plays better, and I think Ole Miss handles Arkansas by 10 points. So I'm actually going to go with the Rebels minus five and a half. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to agree with you. I mean, really, in all honesty, how this game should work out is, you know, the first series, if Ole Miss, you know, gets back to the run and realizes that, you know, their offensive linemen are blocking Arkansas defensive linemen instead of Alabama, you know, that Alabama psyche just – you can't, you can't you know, practice for that. You can't prepare for that because they're just – you know, it's just another level of talent. With that being said, you know, the Arkansas running game, you know, I know Alabama ran all over uh, Ole Miss, but the running games are two different situations with Alabama versus Arkansas. You know, Alabama uh, tight, tight splits – you know, basic, you know, lead plays, you know, basic, you know, um, you know, just knock you in your teeth. We're going to run over the Arkansas kind of spreads you out and they do that motion and everything like that. So, I mean, you know, you just got to trust that uh, the Ole Miss defense is, you know, a little bit more better prepared because they kind of see the offense that Alabama, I mean, that Arkansas runs via, you know, not Alabama's offense. So uh, I think that, you know, you'll see uh, the Rebs get a couple stops. Uh, you know, I think the de- uh, you'll see, you know, uh, some defensive players in the right spot whenever they weren't in the right spot, you know, a couple of years back. But uh, with that being said, it's just if that Ole Miss can get back to the running game, running the ball, you know, you got it's it's almost like when you're handicapping a horse race. Just after, if a horse runs a bad race and you just put a line through it, move on because it's a good horse. And I think Ole Miss is a really good horse. Uh, it just, you know, just ran into some bad uh, conditions and uh, you just got to put a line through the race and move forward. I just think that, you know, uh, if Ole Miss would, uh, had two, two parts in this se- uh, season for them, if they got to 3-0 and and played Alabama, that was a goal. That, I mean, that was a win. And if you uh, – whatever happens against Alabama, you just, you know, start a new season and you look at the uh, upcoming schedule and – you know, they've got a really good chance to, you know, be eight to nine and one or, you know, eight and two. So uh, this is a, a big game for them. And I think if they can start running the ball, you know, get that offense back on track, they win this game easy. We'll see what happens. I'm kind of with you for the most part on that. It'll be a fascinating game to uh, watch turn out. There's only really a couple games outside of the SEC to get to this week. I'll just kind of limit it to two because I want to get to this NFL slate. Start with the Red River rivalry game. This game is in uh, Dallas, Texas State Fair, all that pageantry. Uh, Texas has looked a hell of a lot better since they went to Carter Thompson at quarterback. It is uh, plus three and a half. Texas is plus three and a half at this game played in the Cotton Bowl um, I'm actually going to go the Longhorns here. I think Oklahoma's kind of played with fire the last couple weeks, um, particularly uh, since – well, really not particularly since. It's really been since the start of the year. They really kind of let uh, Tulane back in it. They didn't look overly convincing against Kansas State or West Virginia or Nebraska. I mean, literally the only blowout they've had all year is Western Carolina. Uh, I think Texas is playing much better football. I'm all over the Longhorns here. Uh, do you, uh, you know, as a college football fan, you know, of course, you always want to go, you know, do certain things. Uh, do you think this is a must go to the uh, Cotton Bowl, the state, the Texas State Fair, the Red River rivalry? Do you think that's a, a, go, a must go? 
Yeah, so the Texas State Fair is like a pretty, obviously, stating the obvious here, pretty big deal. Like, it's funny, we've been out of town like all three weekends that this thing's going to be in town. I think it's actually maybe open another week after this, so I might try to check it out. But, yeah, I think it'd be cool. I've been fortunate enough to go into the Cotton Bowl for the last Cotton Bowl uh, when Ole Miss played Texas Tech. Yeah. Uh, Mike Leach shot blast from the past there. It's a cool stadium, kind of a cool older environment. So yeah, I would definitely consider this a bucket list game. It's always uh, yeah, I would I would definitely you know have to agree with that. I mean, I mean, I think I would wear my Ole Miss stuff and go to this game and uh, and, and and experience. I, I just think it's you know it's kind of weird that uh, these teams will be this will be an SEC matchup here you know in the future. But I man, you know you don't know what you're getting from Texas. I know Texas uh, blew out with Kansas State last week. And uh, Spencer Rattler is, I don't know, man, kind of on the fence on that guy. I, I'm, I'm going to go Oklahoma. I'll take Oklahoma on this. Last one, we'll go Michigan, uh, Michigan, Nebraska. It is Michigan minus three and a half on the road in Nebraska. I, we had Michigan, Wisconsin last week, and I kind of went with the whole, like, you know, if Michigan, they've looked pretty good to start the year. If they lose this game, I'm going to have a hard time ever taking a hardball team seriously, more seriously than a program, say, like Nebraska, per se or excuse me, than Wisconsin per se, uh, was Nebraska playing a little bit better? This feels like a game that could pick them off, but I'm actually going to keep riding the Wolverines here. I'm going to go Michigan minus three and a half. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is, uh, should be a pretty decent game. What would be a really good game is that Iowa-Penn State game. That should be a really, really good game. I think Iowa's three and Penn State's five. But, oh, shoot, I missed that one. Great call. So, Tim, we'll pick that one too. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I just think Michigan's finally got the hot hand. I know that, you know, Harbaugh's have been under fire. And, uh, you know, it just takes a, a couple wins to build your confidence. So, uh, you know, I think Michigan is a really good team whenever they're not playing Ohio State. So, they're not playing Ohio State this weekend. So, I'm going to go with Michigan. But the uh, Oregon – I mean, the uh, Iowa and the um, Penn State, you know, it's I, – I, I really like Iowa. Um, I, I, just, I just like Iowa, man. Okay, fair enough. I think I kind of they're the same. They're uh, a little bit like Kentucky of the uh, Kentucky of the Big Ten. It doesn't look very pretty, but uh, they just kind of get it done. It's Iowa at home minus one and a half. I'm all over that with you. Uh, I don't think Penn State's bad. I'm not sure about the quarterback play uh, really for either school here, but definitely don't trust Clifford in a game like this on the road. And then I was coming off of really just a shellacking over Maryland. I think that game was 51 to 14. It was like a three point line. I'm all yeah, over Iowa. Sure. And, well. you know, and like you were saying, like Iowa just gets it done. I mean, it's a 13 to 10 game with four, you know, they've played their game. And, uh, you know, I, I just like how Iowa plays. You know, they're uh, they're not super talented, but, you know, they play – they don't get penalties and, uh, you know, they uh, don't shoot themselves in the foot, you know. So, I, I like Iowa. I think that would be a really good game to watch. And that is going to do it for our college slate. Now we're going to transition over, as the great Mike Francesca says, we're to the league where they play for pay. We are doing this in time to pick the Thursday night game this week. And boy, do we have a good one. Um, we have Rams, Seahawks, and Seattle. Uh, see, uh, Seattle's coming off a win, big win at San Francisco. You know, this division is unbelievable. All four of these teams are playoff teams. The odds of all four of them making it are not very good. I think this team, this division gets three playoff teams. So you're talking about the Rams, the Seahawks, the Cardinals, and the Niners. What an absolutely brutal, brutal division to have to play those other three teams, no matter which one you are in that division, six times in a 17-game schedule. Just absolutely rough. Um, Rams coming off a home loss to the uh, Cocaine Cardinals, as uh, we, along with the Ringer podcast, dubbed them last week. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
<laughs> uh, really where Kyron Murray just kind of probably cemented himself as the early season MVP candidate. Seattle gets a big win on the road uh, in a game that Jimmy G gets hurt in. We'll get to that in probably a minute. Uh, this is a just a brutal, brutal start for the Los Angeles Rams from a schedule standpoint. Uh, they're three and one. And honestly, they're pretty damn good to kind of be at that point. They open the year the, at the ro- on the road against the Colts, didn't have to come home and play the Bucs, didn't have to host the Cardinals, and then have to turn around four and a half days later and play the Seahawks. That's a brutal start to the season. And, man, if they win this game on the road and start four and one, uh, you, you would have to be absolutely ecstatic as a Rams fan to get through that at four and one. It is the Rams minus two and a half on the road. I hate laying road favorites in the NFL, particularly in an NFC West game with Russell Wilson on the other side. But um, I'm actually much more of a believer in the Rams than I am the Seahawks uh, for a couple of different reasons. I'm still not sold on that Seahawks defense. I kind of watch what they let the Titans do to get back in the game. Um, that was a weird game last week with Jimmy G getting hurt. Aside from one busted coverage, um, Trey Lance didn't really do a whole lot. And I just think the Rams rebound here. I have Stafford on my fantasy team. They've looked really good so far. They just got behind the early and were chasing the game last week. I am a Rams minus two and a half here for the Thursday night game. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's, I think it's going to be a really, really good game. Uh, you know, I wasn't expecting uh, Seattle to, uh, to go to San Francisco and, you know, kind of win that game just up and down. But, uh, I, man, for some strange reason, I always take the Seattle at home angle, uh, regardless, uh, regardless of who they're playing, just because that 12th man is, uh, is a factor. And I think there's full capacity, correct? Am I wrong? No, yeah, everyone's full capacity. You're all good. Yeah. There. Okay. So, yeah, uh, I just, you know, like I said, uh, just Seattle at home being an underdog, uh, just, I just like that angle. So I'll just have to disagree and, uh, and take the uh, Seattle here. I mean, that's a, that's right in the Vegas zone. That's a two, two and a half point line with two really good team or two good teams. I should say, I think the Rams have potential to be really good. I'm not sold on the Seahawks there, but yeah, coin flip game. But, you know, we talk about the Seahawks probably like if you told me who I would bet on to finish fourth out of those division, that division, it's probably the Seahawks if the Niners stay healthy. And that's a huge if. But you win this game and you're one up on two of the four teams in the division and haven't played Arizona yet. That's sitting pretty. So that's going to be a fascinating division to watch play out. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't hate either pick there. Honestly, that's going to be a fun one to watch. I'll probably watch that on the airplane uh, on the way to Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, London game. We're gonna. So we got our first London game of the year. This is this is gonna be something. You ready for this awesome matchup? It's funny that it's the most American thing ever that we send. We have like the greatest sports product on earth in the NFL, and we routinely send our shittiest games over there to the Brits, and they just eat that up because you know if they've never seen more than uh, five points on a scoreboard in their life, maybe not more than two. Um, so. We have, what, Atlanta and New York. So we have Atlanta and the Jets. Uh, If you're wondering what being a Titans fan is like, it's going on the road and beating Seattle, beating the Colts at home in a divisional game, feeling pretty good about yourself after a bad week one loss, and then losing to Zach Wilson and the New York Jets the next week. So that was really awesome. We have the Jets plus three against the Falcons. This violates every single rule that we have in the book on this podcast. And by that, I mean, we have no rules, but we like to make our own rules. We have been two for two seasons in a row. We've banned the Jets. (laughs) And then we've gotten to a point where we said we've banned the Falcons, but don't ever actually do it. So where are we going here? It's Falcons minus three in London. 
uh, I, I almost feel like uh, flipping like five coins and seeing uh, which one which one went out to one win two out of three or something like that. It's it's that bad. I mean, the Falcons had a chance to go two and two, win this game, and get to like five and three, and they lose at home to Taylor Heineke, Taylor Heineke and the Redskins last week. And it wasn't because Washington's defense played well; they allowed thirty-four points. So, yeah, I, I'll go first. I'm just gonna put a you know put a gun to my head. I'm gonna head. go with Atlanta. I'm gonna go Atlanta. I'm gonna go with you. I, you man, I, yeah, I you read my mind. I didn't even say it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of felt like you were. I mean, you know, Zach Wilson. Uh, he, I, I mean, man. That Jet franchise is just a disaster. And like, but congrats uh, like, to them last week. Good for him. He looked more competent, but I just don't see it two weeks in a row. Yeah. And plus the travel on the short week, you know, uh, I forgot what the uh, time difference is. So it's like a three or four hour difference between the two. So that's a big deal, man. I did some traveling the other day, uh, this year and like would travel to Maryland from Mississippi. And like it took me like a solid day and a half to get back on track. It was kind of weird. Um, yeah, no, I think it's like six, seven hours difference, isn't it? I stopped caring what happens over there in, since 1776, but I think we're like six, seven hours, right? Yeah, give or take. I, I, I used to uh, watch whole city games and they, uh, now I don't. So kind of, kind of canned them. And everyone's going to wager on this because it's the 9.30 a.m. game. It's like, oh, whatever, London game. Oh yeah, you get your you get your uh, get your uh, brunch special going. A couple, a bucket of uh, endless mimosas and some or some bloody marys and uh, maybe some chicken and waffles. That that'd be the most American thing to do is uh, eat some eat some good brunch and then watch this uh, terrible football game. Yeah, whatever. I'll go to the Falcons. I didn't even have to say it. You read my mind, but I just feel gross talking about this. So we're gonna move on. Oh, let's see here. What do we have? What what what? Let's see. I lost my place here. Hold on. Give me like two seconds to get the old, uh, get the old pick sheet back up. There we go. We got it here. Tampa Bay are starting the 12 a.m. games, 12 a.m. games. That would be a wild ride. Uh, the cocaine Cardinals would thrive at 12 a.m. 12 p.m. games. Uh, Tampa Bay minus 10 at home against the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins looked horrendous against an 0-3 Colts team. In their defense, Colts are not really an 0-3 team. I think they're a decent football team. Um, Bucks kind of survived one in a rain in what was maybe the most hyped regular season game in, hell, I don't know, 15 years it felt like. I'm talking about hyped in terms of, like, can't turn it off on the TV. Brady, Belichick, that whole thing, I don't really feel like rehashing it. It was kind of nauseating. Uh, that said, I'm not in good faith putting any sort of money on the Miami Dolphins uh, with Jacoby Brissett. They've just looked horrendous. Uh, so not great here. I'm going to go the Bucks kind of rebound. You know, the Bucks haven't played well in a couple of weeks. They didn't play well in the rain. They won the game. They got beat the week before uh, in Los Angeles against the Rams. I think this is a, you know, 34 to three type of thing where they rebound and play a lot better and the defense plays better. Cause uh, you know, for thought it was, they were kind of a lock to win the Super Bowl again. Right. It's like, Oh, they brought everyone back and that defense has looked very vulnerable. I think this is a get right game. I, I hate laying 10 points in the NFL, but I'll go Bucks. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the Bucks here too. I just think, uh, you know, they finally back uh, in their own uh, time zone, and uh, I, I'm going to play the time zone angle this uh, this week. Uh, I'm going to go with the uh, with the Bucks with the Bucks being back in their uh, uh, Florida time zone. I think they uh, they're back on track. So uh, let's go with the Bucks to roll. Keeping it moving here, a somewhat fascinating game, depending on how you want to look at it. The Carolina Panthers got humbled a little bit last week uh, playing against Dallas. We can get to Dallas in a minute. Uh, I hate to say it as much as the next guy, 
I actually, I don't hate to say it. I, everyone hates the Cowboys. I've never minded the Cowboys. I'm certainly not a Cowboys fan. I probably have, they've probably gone in less, like fallen out of favor if they were ever in favor with me just living out here because there's so many damn Cowboys fans. But I've always, like, I've never hated them, but man, they look good. Anyway, uh, Carolina gets blown out towards the end last week. They don't have Christian McCaffrey. They're minus three and a half at home against the Philadelphia Eagles. I can't decide what I make of the Eagles. I don't think they're good, but they kind of look competent enough. They remind me of last year's Panthers with Teddy Bridgewater, where they're like, oh, they're frisky when they're down 10, trying to cut it uh, to five or something like that. Um, But I just, I don't know how to feel about them. It's minus three and a half. I think I'm going to go Carolina here. um, Just out of, you know, home team, you know, they were like the most statistically the best defense in football, even though I don't think anyone actually believed that heading into Dallas. They got exposed a little bit. They signed Stefan Gilmore. He's not going to play this week, I would assume. Actually, I would know that. He got signed today after the Patriots couldn't come to terms with him and traded him or cut, it, cut him or whatever the hell it was. So uh, I'll go Carolina minus three and a half here. Just home team by a field goal. Probably buy that thing down to three and just ride with it. Yeah, I mean, I would kind of semi-agree with you. I think I'm just going to go with the Eagles, though. I think that – uh, you I know, don't hate I like that it. at all. This is uh, a coin flip. Yeah, it, it definitely is. Uh, and, and it's tough. Like you were saying, it's a coin flip and go either way. I, I just think that, you know, the Eagles will get it done. Maybe that uh, defense, uh, you know, maybe will uh, play a little bit better than they played against Kansas City. But, again, they played against Kansas City. So, uh, Kansas City is a good club. So, can't take anything away from them. But uh, for some just strange reason, I feel like, um, everybody would we be taking Carolina, and I'm just going to roll with it and take Philly here. Uh, yeah, that, that's a hard that's a hard game to get a feel for. Um, so yeah, not I don't really have much else to add on that. That to me screams like a game that doesn't get, make the red zone very often. That feels like a very boring game. Over under is actually 45, so maybe not that, but doesn't doesn't feel great uh, in terms of a lot of action, but. I think Carolina is good and well coached. Like, you know what I mean? Like they're going to end up being six and two or something like that. And it's like, are they actually that good? Probably not. But Matt rule, I think is a good head coach. And if you surround Sam Darnold with some semblance of stability, he's uh he's been pretty good. Have you noticed? I don't know if he's, you're a Sam Darnold fantasy owner. He's running around like he's Cam Newton. Have you, have you seen this? He like led the, when he scored his second rushing touchdown against Dallas last week in that moment in time, he led the NFL in rushing touchdowns. Did you know that? Wow. No, I did not know that. They keep, I, I mean, I, 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 he's on my uh, on the waiver wire, and he's always predicted to do really, really good. So, uh, must be doing something right. I would look into that if you are able to pick him up, because uh, they they I've watched. I don't know why I've caught so much of Carolina this year because I mainly only watch red zone. I'll flip around to the rest of Sunday ticket, but like he's he's running a ton. Like I don't, I don't, I'm not a fantasy owner, but if we have anyone listening out there, I'd like to hear your thoughts uh, checking in on the show of just how awesome that's been. Cause that's a kind of a low value play at quarterback or a good value play, low draft pick play. And I don't think anyone pictured him having five rushing touchdowns anyway, whatever, kind of a fascinating game here for a different reason. The Washington uh, professional football team, they are two and two, correct? Are they two and two? Yeah. Yeah. So they, they go into Atlanta last week and kind of steal one late. They are two and two. Taylor Heineke has a little something about him. I don't know what that something is per se, but he has something to him. He's a competent NFL quarterback. You know what? I'll have a take here. Have you watched much of Washington this year? Would you rather have Taylor Heineke or Kirk Cousins? 
Uh, I would take Heineke. Cause, I think uh, I would take Heineke too. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, just Kirk Cousin just – I mean, like, he's just got the label that just can't win the big game. And, like, he's been in that position. And, like, uh, didn't Heineke just uh, randomly show up in Detroit and, and play? Or what – when he, – he got drafted by Washington, right? So, so he got dra- – he was in Minnesota for a – he's actually a fascinating story. He was in Minnesota for a little bit. Then Ron Rivera brings him into Carolina as like the third string guy and practice squad for a little bit. And then he was in the uh, XFL uh, for the oh, St. Louis yeah. Battlehawks. He was Tiamu's yeah. backup. That leads yes. he gets brought in, makes the team, and all of a sudden he's starting a playoff game against the Bucks last year. Because remember, they played that playoff game in Washington because the, uh, the Redskins won the division at seven and nine or whatever the hell they were. And I know they lost that game, but he looked good. And, you know, yeah. he, he lost. He, he has definitely with Fitzpatrick, more I don't think he gives that job back up. There's a hot thing for you. When, whenever Fitzpatrick's healthy was whatever his issue is, wasn't it like a rib thing? I can't remember. I think they keep Heineke. I think he's kind of good. It's a fascinating story. Yeah, I mean, if you get that defense playing good, they can easily, you know, try to uh, steal this division or at least get in the wild card. Um, you would just think that Dallas would take over, but uh, – I, I like it. If they can get that defense going, which I have them as my fantasy uh, defense, and they haven't been really fantasy producers. So um, I'm going to roll with them again this week one more time. So it's uh, uh, Washington plus two against the New Orleans Saints in D.C. Um, I was I know I've been huge on the Saints. Like, I really was kind of bullish. Like, you know, Jameis, like, whatever. He throws really – like, you know, he throws for 5,000 yards and 30 touchdowns and they can cut the picks in half. I think they could be a good team, but Sean Payton won't let him throw the football. And maybe there's good reason for that, but they seem insistent on being a run team first. And, you know, if they needed, if they had a good offensive performance, not a great one, they would have beaten the Giants in the dome last week. The Giants were kind of dead to rights midway through that game. And their inability or unwillingness to let Jameis throw the football downfield and turn him loose came back to bite them. And so, I guess I'm kind of changing my tune until they are kind of showed that they'll let Jameis let it rip a little bit. Uh, I'm going to go Washington here. I think they'll win the game. I think they're more competent offensively with the current version of Jameis that they're allowing to play. They seem insistent on that. And if there's one thing that Washington can do, they can stop the run. They're a little bit shaky in the secondary. So I'm going to go Washington plus two here. I'm actually going to use my first lock. Oh, wow. Wow. I wasn't expecting that. That, uh, that, Man, I, I'm a Saints fan. I can't bet against them. My my thing is with Jameis is, uh, you know, with, whenever Breeze was at quarterback, you know, they would be up that 10 points or seven points and, uh, you know, go for that dagger and throw that deep ball, you know. And they, it seems like the, I don't know if they don't trust Jameis, you know, to throw that dagger to, you know, try to put that game away. But They clearly they, do not. Yeah, they just – they just – you know, man, uh, they should have won that game. They didn't. And uh, with that being said, you know, uh, I'm not sitting here saying you got to press the the refresh button, but uh, it's almost like a Pittsburgh Steelers situation, you know, like they need to get rid of Roethlisberger. They need to get rid of Tomlin. You know, if you look at these coaches that have been here for a long time, I mean, you know, you just kind of look at Sean Payton and, you know, the – the contract with Taysom Hill is a head scratcher. I mean, I, that's I don't know how important he is, you know, but uh, but they paid him like he's important. But uh, you know, you, you try not to ch- uh, judge management on uh, their moves that they make and where they spend their money. But I kind of like Washington uh, for some strange reason. But uh, I just can't bet against the Saints. But I will this week. 
and I'm going to take uh, the Washington Redskins with me. A man of honor. The only thing on Greg's mind is cold, hard cash. I can respect <laughs> that as someone who bets against the Titans all the time. Speaking of which, here's a great one. The Tennessee Titans coming off a loss to the mighty New York Jets in New York. Where, and the Titans, I guess, if you want to formulate a defense, they were down like two receivers. A.J. Brown was out. Someone else was, whose name is escaping me was out. Derrick Henry runs a muck, but it's still not good enough. The Titans' defense was terrible. They had a bunch of penalties, some special teams gaffed. They lose to the Jets. Is, has anyone had a worse week in America than Urban Meyer? Uh, maybe maybe the only one that whatever that guy's name is hiding out in the woods who is on the run after that old van fiasco. Uh, oh, yeah, I don't want to get myself in trouble there, but I'm just trying to think of candidates who have had a, had a worse week um, than Urban Meyer. Um What's your take on the Urban Meyer situation? Uh, look. Uh, it's – I don't know, man. I mean, I just don't understand how you can pay that guy the dollar amount he pay, uh, gets paid. And he – I mean, he quit on Ohio State, basically, correct? I mean, he quits everywhere he goes. He, he quit yeah. he had the Zach Smith situation, didn't really want to fake the music, but he fakes a, a health issue, which really boils down to the root of the issue, which – like. Look, if the Jacksonville Jags were three and one, no one would care about this. It would be something that would make TMZ. He might get asked about it in a press conference, and it's like, ah, okay, well, you know, not great moment for me. Like, sorry, and then it's not a story. But he's the he's the coach of a terrible team. He's kind of been weird from the start, and he's probably one of the more fraudulent human beings on earth. And if there's ever a benefit to being genuine in life, it's you'll get the benefit of the doubt, and he's getting the opposite of that, right? Like, I mean. Copping he a was with some younger, younger girl at a bar is not the worst thing an NFL or a college head coach has done, but they're looking for every excuse to blast you, and I think that's been the product of it. I'm not apologizing for Urban Meyer. I find this whole situation hilarious, and I kind of find him to be a, uh, a scummy human being, but I'm not someone who's like a huge moralist. I don't really judge people, but like I see why he's getting raked over the coals. I don't think it's totally unfair. I mean, you know, it's just uh, you, you're a professional. You got to hold yourself accountable to, uh, you know, being out in public. And, you know, this d day and age, there's so many people that have so many cameras on their phones and uh, have plenty of memory to uh, to record that. So with that being said, you know, you just got to conduct yourself. And, you know, uh, whenever you sign that contract to um, coach an NFL professional team, you have to uh, hold yourself accountable uh, on how you act. But, Urban, uh, Urban Meyer definitely doesn't care about that, it seems like. I would say that's safe to say. Look, I, the funny fact that him having to apologize to his team and then he doesn't even do that correct and the owner puts out a weird statement, and this is all over him just kind of uh, getting after some young younger girl's butt. I mean, look, he was he was about I mean, a quarter inch away from that having to be put on HBO or censored. Yeah, I mean, maybe he's just a butt guy, you know. I mean, didn't his wife like like somebody's tweet that said – that said something or something like that. I, I think I remember saying, seeing that, but I think his wife literally liked um, a comment about that video or something like that. Yeah. She was like liking stuff on Twitter. And then now there's this conspiracy theory that it was an inside job to like get him fired. So he can take the USC gig and there's, but there really just all kinds of takes. Uh, it's really just if you're USC, do you literally roll out the red carpet for urban Meyer? No, I don't think so, particularly with the situation they have with the previous AD, and I don't think the current AD would touch it, but it makes for a fun internet narrative. Uh, yeah, yeah that's but a, uh, who, who in the right mind would hire Urban Meyer? 
that's a good point. Um, I mean, look, this is the most trouble he's had with the tight end since Aaron Hernandez, and it's just not looking great <laughs> for our man. So, <laughs> that being said, it's Jags plus four and a half at home. Surely the Titans don't do this two weeks in a row, right? I, I, I as someone, as I just commended you for going against your beloved New Orleans Saints, I, I guess I'll go to the Titans, but my God, I, you wouldn't, you couldn't pay me to actually play this. Yeah, I mean, I would say this is probably the stay away play of the week. But with that being said, uh, kind of definitely don't stay away from any games around these parts. So, uh, man, if the Titans lose this game, I, I think it is full out meltdown mode uh, in, in Nashville. Um, no, no, no uh, way around it. You know, you you went out, picked up Julio Jones to go with AJ Brown. Uh, you know, you've got Derrick Henry who, you know, you can just run the ball down people's throat. Uh, if you go back to back and you lose to the Jets and the Jacksonville Jaguars and the shit show that the Jacksonville Jaguars are, uh, it, I would I would uh, start pressing the panic button. So with that being said, I, I just think the Titans just roll here. I think they win by two or three touchdowns. Uh, you're more, op- you're more optimistic than me. But I, I did. Yeah, I, I wanted. I talked you up. I wanted. I wanted you to feel good about that bet. Thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, let's see. So we got a couple more twelve o'clock games. Then we got the late slate here. Um, here's another disgusting one. Minnesota Vikings, kind of a really ugly home loss to the Browns. I think that was just really both quarterbacks that no one really buys stock in, uh, playing terribly, and the Browns having just a slightly better and more talented defense is the way that game went to me last week. Um, they're home again at one and three against the Detroit Lions. They, I think they clearly win this game, but it's plus nine. And Detroit played a lot of good teams to start the year. Um, Chicago, I wouldn't necessarily put in that category. They kind of got blown out last week, but I can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm going to go Detroit plus nine. I think the Vikings win the game, but I'm not necessarily sure I trust Kirk Cousins to cover this sort of spread. I'll go because Detroit plays hard. That's a, They play hard. That's a stupid thing to say in the NFL. But they play hard. They're just not that talented, and they do a lot of dumb shit in the red zone. What are they? I saw they were like one of the first teams in the last like thirty years where they had three straight red zone trips and got zero points. Apparently, it's been like three decades since that happened in a game. Um, so I'll go Detroit plus ninety and saw odds. I don't think I would ever actually play this game in a million years, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 it's a it's a you know division game. Uh, you know, it's more than a touchdown. Uh, I mean, this just has uh, uh, NFL, you know, set up all over it. So I, I would rather – I'd have the points here. I, I like uh, Detroit with you. Two more 1 o'clock games before we get to a uh, get to the late slate. This is actually a fascinating one for weird reasons. Pittsburgh is hosting Denver, and it's actually Pittsburgh minus one. This is one of those classic NFL lines that doesn't make a ton of sense. But you look at Denver – they get kind of exposed at home against Baltimore last week. Denver started 3-0, and but you got to remember those wins were over the Giants, Jets, and the Jaguars. You could argue at the time those were the three worst teams in the National Football League, or at least three of the worst four with Detroit in the mix as well. Uh, that being said, Danny Dimes has actually played pretty good football for the Giants this year. We'll get to them in just a second. So that you could probably take the Giants out of that. But the point being, they didn't beat anyone good. I don't know this. I can't in good faith put any money on what's left of Ben Roethlisberger. And it sucks for Steelers fans. Not that they ever really have it bad, but it sucks for the players in that roster too. I don't think they're going to bench Ben. I think they're just going to ride it out. 
for the rest of the year and kind of get let a guy that won two Super Bowls have his last two rod, no matter how terrible it gets. But he's not a starting caliber NFL quarterback anymore. I mean, I hate to steal from the Bill Bill Simmons podcast, but like I heard Peter Schrager make this point the other weekend. If they traded for Minshew tomorrow, Gardner Minshew is now a backup on the Philadelphia Eagles. Were the Steelers not a playoff team? Because I would say they are. Um, I, I mean, my thing is, is like, uh, if I were Mike Tomlin, I would, you know, tr- uh, be worried about my own personal job. You know, um, that's just how I feel about the situation, you know, because if you ride Ben Roethlisberger out and it just keeps on continuing to get bad, I mean, are you still going to be the head coach after after the year's done? I mean, I just wouldn't take that chance. And I would, you know, pull the trigger uh, and say, hey, look, you know, I, you know, I know Ben's been the quarterback for a hot minute, but we need to, you know, make a deal, trade for Mitchu or, tra- you know, if they have somebody else in mind. But uh, to, to save the season, if, th- if Pittsburgh loses this game, uh, I think you press the panic button. Uh, I, I, I but I, I, I like Denver. I'm going to go with Denver on this game. I just don't trust Rossenberger, and I'm just going to be smart with it. I know that they got exposed last weekend, and but you know Baltimore's played some really good teams, and you know, and they are a good team themselves. So, with that being said, you know, uh, I just I, I think that it's time to press the panic button in Pittsburgh and uh, and roll with it. So, I'm going to take advantage of it. I'm going to try to win some money. So, I'm going to go with Denver, and I'm actually going to do this as my first lock. There we go. I'll actually join you as my second lock. Um, you know, this Tomlin's teams are always well coached. And so I, that's why I think he's safe because if you watch them, it's just been their defense is not bad. They don't have an elite receiver. They have a, a pretty good number two in Clay. I mean, they've got Najee Harris on that team. I and mean, they can't that, block. Their offensive line stinks. So that's one Ben's defense. But man, you see him, he can't throw the ball down the field. I mean, he's tripping over himself. Yeah. I mean, that's just awkward. I just, uh, it just, uh, I just, you know, feel feel bad for the guy. Not, I do not feel bad for Ben Roethlisberger. But with that being said, you know, sometimes you got to pull the trigger on your career and uh, and say, go up to the coach and be like, hey, you know, I'm not up to NFL standards. Uh, you need to put somebody else in. And if he was a real team player, he would he would actually do that. Bad news for them is their backup is Dwayne Haskins. So we're gonna see how this one goes for the rest of the year. But wow. I'm, yeah, I'm I'm going Denver with you. I think Tomlin's probably safe. I think who they draft the quarterback next will be very fascinating in terms of what his long-term future is there. But I think this year probably gets pinned on Ben. I think it goes poorly. So I'm going to Denver. Last, uh, no, two more one o'clock games. Sorry. Really fascinating one here. Both teams are three and one. You've got the Cincinnati Bengals plus three at home against the Green Bay Packers. So Cincinnati, Joe Burrow hasn't looked good. They got down early in the Thursday night game last week, come back to win as Urban Myers team throws up on itself. Um, Trevor Lawrence looked confident for a decent bit of that game, but both teams are three and one. Uh, I, this is to me a sucker line. I think people will be like, Oh, Bengals home plus three getting points all over it. I think the Packers are a much better team and that week one was absolute fluke. So I'll actually lock my third lock as the green Bay Packers here. As much as I love Joe Burrow and the Bengals, I'm not sure about Zach Taylor as a coach and I'm not sure about their defense yet. So I'm actually going to go Packers minus three on the road here. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to have to agree with you. I mean, uh, um uh, just just uh curious uh do you think uh trevor lawrence jacksonville would be better if uh spiller didn't get hurt for the year and he was back there uh didn't they, didn't they draft who did they uh, oh the travis etienne yeah etienne do you feel like uh jacksonville would probably win a couple more games if he was back there 
No, but it's not a bad argument, but I just don't think yeah. they can block. And I, I mean, look yeah. at Ole Miss and Tuscaloosa last week. If you can't block, nothing else matters. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, I was about to say. Uh, all right, so what do we got on this game? I just uh, for some strange reason, I, I drafted NTU. That's why I wanted to make that. Green Bay minus three. I love Green Bay. I, I think uh, Joe Burrow and uh, I think Mixon's hurt. Maybe uh, they might have some uh, injury issues. Uh, with that being said, I love Joe Burrow. But with that being said, also being said, I'm trying to be smart with my money because I like to win. So I've got Aaron Rodgers and. Uh, Devontae Adams on my fantasy team, so hopefully they can lock up and uh, get get the uh, the Como Care Bears back in ten, uh, back in uh, at five hundred. Last one o'clock game, a disgusting one. The new one and three New England Patriots who kind of grabbed defeat from the jaws of victory last week. They had that game against Tom wrapped up and just didn't really do enough towards the end. They elected to go for a 56-yard field goal in the rain instead of let Mac Jones complete one for five yards, even though he'd had 19 straight completions. They're minus eight and a half on the road against the uh, Houston Texans. I'm assuming this means Davis Mills is still playing quarterback for them and not Tyrod Taylor. I cannot believe I'm doing this coming off a 40 to nothing loss or whatever that is, but I don't trust the Patriots to score enough to go be minus eight, so give me the crappy Texans eight and a half at home. Man, I think um... – I think at one point uh, Mills had more interceptions than completions in, in, in that game. Uh, that's last not week. great. Yeah, I think that's not good. Uh, <laughs> with that being said, I, I just can't. Uh, I'm just going to pick the better team, and if I lose, I lose. You know, I just – there's just – I can't pull the trigger on betting on the uh, the Houston Texans. So, uh, I, you know, Matt Jones, look, um, he didn't look bad. I mean, you know, uh, I just felt like the that uh, the Buccaneers and Patriots game was just a staged game that just, uh, you know, it didn't want to be too exciting or something like that. I don't know. With that being said, I, I just think the Patriots are a better club, and I think they can easily win this game uh, 21 to 10. How about that? I think I've bet on the Texans every single week of the football season based off their week one win, including in week one. It's a rough life for us betting on the Texans. We're required to smoke Marlboro Reds. Um, you're required to get in a couple bar fights. It's not for the faint of heart. I wouldn't recommend it. Now we're into the late slate. Las Vegas hosting Chicago. Las Vegas minus five and a half. Coming off kind of a brutal Monday night loss to the Chargers last week. And what was kind of an interesting game, I'm still a believer in the Las Vegas Raiders, I think their offensive line had a bad game. Uh, L.A.'s defensive line is really, really good when they're healthy. Uh, did you see they had a lightning delay in an indoor stadium this past week? Did you see this? Yeah, that was uh, that was a head-scratcher. Uh, there was no – maybe uh, Al Davis' son was uh, late for the game. Maybe that's what happened. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one to pull off in an indoor stadium. Technically, I was told it's a pavilion where it's like open-ended, but there is a roof over it. Like the sides are not fully closed in, and that's why that happened. Um, that being said, I'm still a believer, and then I'm not a believer in Justin Fields and Matt Nagy. So I think this is a classic rebound game for the Raiders, and I'm actually going to use my fourth lock on – I probably regret one of those I used in the early state, but I'm going to go Raiders minus five and a half and lock it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, you know, uh, the, the Chargers are good. Uh, not taking away anything from them. I think uh, Herbert's uh, uh, on track to having a really good, good solid season. With that being said, I, I like uh, the, the Raiders here with you. But uh, not going to lock it up, but I do like it a lot. So uh, let's, uh, let's roll with you on the Raiders on this. Keeping it moving here. The late slate, as it's been the really the entire year, is really, really good. 
Uh, you've got the Chargers at home again against the Cleveland Browns, and it's L.A. Chargers minus two. Um, probably not much of a home field environment. Although what I'm fascinated to see this year is as they continue to win games and they have one of the more likable and transcendent quarterbacks of this younger crop of quarterbacks and Justin Herbert, you know, if they can kind of like put together a run and win a playoff game or two, does that change how they're viewed in the city of LA? Like, does that become a little bit more of a neutral or home field advantage for them? Do they kind of become more favorable with the city that never wanted them? Cause it's really hard not to like Herbert. He is awesome to watch play football. I didn't even enjoy him a quarter as much while he was in college, but I really, really enjoy watching Justin Herbert. That team looks locked and loaded. I still think Kansas city comes out of the division just solely because of Patrick Mahomes, but the Chargers are a playoff team. And I trust them a hell of a lot more than I do Baker Mayfield. So I'm going to go LA Chargers minus two here. I would use a lock if I hadn't wasted all the other ones. I only have one left, so I got to be wild. Actually, no, what the hell with it? I'm actually going my fifth lock. I'll empty the holster here. I love the Chargers minus two in this spot. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to go with you, and I'm going to lock it also. I think we've got the same lock. So we're, we're, it's going to be probably either really, really good or really, really bad. So uh, I, I like the Chargers here. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, Baker Mayfield went on the road and won a, a you know, a, 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 a tough game. But, I mean, is Minnesota that good? You know, so. And Mayfield uh, was, was that, terrible in that game. Yeah. And, uh, and plus, uh, you know, it's kind of a time zone issue. So I'm going to uh, use my time zone angle on this. So with that being said, uh, with Cleveland traveling to the West Coast, I just think that maybe their, uh, their Umbugadas aren't on track. And uh, I say uh, the Chargers roll here. You've got three more to fire if you want it. Obviously, the you don't have to use five locks. We both only used four last week, but you do have three more in the holster with four more games to go. The next one is Giants, Cowboys. Dallas looks like an early Super Bowl contender. It's kind of weird to say they just cut Jalen Smith, their uh, former Pro Bowl linebacker, because I think their defense has actually gotten a lot better than what they thought it would be. Uh, Danny Dimes looked for as much as the kind of shit that he got earlier in the year. He's only thrown one pick. I think he's only had one fumble. Maybe he hasn't fumbled, or at least not one that he's lost. I can't remember off the top of my head. They looked pretty good in the second half last week. They looked bad starting the year. They're plus seven. So it's Dallas minus seven in Dallas. This is a dumb bet, but I'm, I think I'm going to go New York plus seven just really because I'd like to kind of see the Giants be a little more competitive and that division be a little more competitive because I'm afraid the Cowboys are going to run away with it. So this is I'm, – I'm hand up. This is probably the dumbest one of the week. I'm going to go uh, Giants plus seven and maybe sprinkle the plus 260 money line. Yeah. I mean, I don't see why not. I mean, you know, uh, the Giants always play uh, the Cowboys tough in, um, in Arlington um, with – aren't they in Arlington? Yes, about a mile from my old house. So uh, – with that being said, I just think if the Cowboys win, it's probably going to be a late field goal. Uh, I just like to have the points here, and uh, we're going to go with the, uh, Danny Dimes and uh, see if we can't. Um, you know, uh, seven points is a lot of points in a in a, in a rivalry game, uh, in a division game, also. So I'll, I like uh, the Giants here. Huge division game early on in the year because the Giants are somehow to pull that off, and now the Cowboys are down to earth with two losses, and you could kind of look up and have, you know. Dallas with two losses, potentially Washington with two, and then Philly and the Giants with three. So that, that, that the talk about a people's win for the division, that would be a big one for the Giants and the other two teams in the division. Last afternoon game here is what? Oh, Arizona, the Cocaine Cardinals, our favorites. Minus five <laughs> and a half against San Francisco. I am going to go hand up. I don't know what Jimmy G's status is. 
Um, I can look it up real quick, but it's minus five and a half. Uh, I'm going to be honest here. The, again, this is kind of an against all logic pick. Um, I'm actually going to go with San Francisco plus five and a half. I don't know if they're able to win the game, but this is the one classic like Kyle Shanahan game where they get up 14 to nothing early where it doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, and like this is one they either like kind of ahead for three quarters and maybe don't quite pull it out or kind of steal one on the road here. I love watching the Cardinals. They're the most electric team in football, hence the name. Kyler Murdy, I think last year, pretty clear once he hurt that shoulder, he just wasn't the same because the fully healthy version of him is awesome. Um, so this is not even an anti-Cardinals thing. This is against all logic thing going against my own dumb brain. Uh, give me the uh, Niners plus five and a half. Uh, I mean, I'm going to kind of have to agree with you a little bit on the uh, you know, this is a Kyle Shanahan game and he'll be up 14 to seven after, you know, halftime. But and you don't I know just, how. Yes. And, and then you turn around and, uh, you know, if you let uh, you let Kyler Murray out of the bag, you know, he, he's going to run. He's going to run wild. So uh, with that being said, I'm just going to, uh, uh, you know, go with my money on the smarter play. And uh, I just like uh, the. The cocaine Cardinals, man. I like them a lot. Let's go with them. I don't uh, I don't hate it. Hell, after last week, I don't think you could go against the cocaine Cardinals in good faith. Um, as much fun as we had picking that game. Sunday night football game. We have – who do we have on Sunday night? I just lost my place for the third time. Oh, Bills Chiefs. This is going to be an awesome one. Kansas City minus three. They have one of the worst defenses in the NFL. It hasn't mattered with Patrick Mahomes. Bills plus three going back to Arrowhead for the first time since the AFC Championship last year. I'll tell you what, man. The Bills played a couple bad teams in Houston and Miami the last two weeks, but they also beat the ever-living hell out of them. And those two teams are professional football teams. And when you're blowing out professional teams by, you know, 30 points per game, that to me is a sign of a team that's clicking. And, you know, we always talk about weird week one results. The Steelers winning that game with the block punt in Buffalo will probably be the biggest outlier result of the year. I think I'm going Buffalo to win this game outright. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I like Buffalo too. Um, I mean, it's nothing against KC, and I think KC, you they know, they can't get stops. Uh, they did, they couldn't stop Philly yeah. last week. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, I, I just uh, I, for some strange reason, this Buffalo team just is just solid up and down the board, and not only. Uh, are, are they a, a good offensive team? They they have good offensive weapons in Dallas. No, uh, Dawson Knox, who uh, unfortunately didn't get thrown to in uh, at Ole Miss. So uh, I like Buffalo with here. Shout out Boots Longo. Uh, Dawson Knox, just next time he met the end zone was in the NFL after he left whatever school he went to in Nashville. Monday night game, I don't even know if this is a good one but it's Baltimore minus seven at home against the Indianapolis Colts. I have no idea what to make of Indy. Congrats to them for kind of taking care of business and not really having the entire floor collapse beneath them last week in Miami. They beat the hell out of the Dolphins. They're one and three, so they're not good. I don't really know what to make of wins. He somehow managed to sprain two ankles. <sighs> this is a stay away to me, but I think I'm going to go Indy plus seven. Like, to me, this is a game that Indy kind of steals and they get back in the division race. And I say this as pretty much as like a Titans horror story. Indy steal this game. The Titans have another bad – the Titans have another bad loss. And it's like, are the Titans really not going to win a division where they're surrounded by the Jacks, Texans, and Carson Wentz? So, at a scar tissue for the Titans, I think I'm going Indy. No other logic. Yeah, I mean – uh, you always wondered who, who uh, puts these games together, you know, like who gets the determining factor of, uh, 
this this is going to be the Monday night game um, because I don't know. For me, uh, it, it, would you choose this as the Monday night game? No, but in their defense, there's a little bit of finagling where the NFL gets every team in prime time once. And the disadvantage uh, that Monday night football has, if you think about it, they have to pick it all preseason where Sunday night football has the ability to just flex a game out of an earlier late window up to Sunday night, if that makes sense. Got to love to uh, be in a situation where you can just flex. Um, yes, flexing I, I, is always I, the way to go. Words to live by. Put it on a shirt. <laughs> uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to roll with you on Indy, too. Uh, just th- it just seems like a – a low-scoring game. It seems like uh, the Colts always find a way to stop Lamar Jackson. So uh, it's just one of those weird NFL games. So I'm going to go and take the uh, take the points uh, here. I, I know it's been bet down. I mean, it's been bet up from four. So uh, a lot of money on the Baltimore uh, Ravens, which uh, if the public's all on it, uh, I-, I like to be on the other side. That's a great nugget to end the show there. That's a dynamite nugget. I didn't know it started at four. And what I was about to say was, you know what this reeks of, is me counting up the totals next week and listing back because I didn't write every single one of them down because I always get sidetracked and us having a pretty good week. And then this is the last one that like puts us at 500 or slightly below. And it's like, why in the hell did we do that? <laughs> That's exactly what this game reeks of. Um, um, yeah. So I like it. Like I said, I think uh, uh, just a, uh, an, in a division rivalry game uh, Monday night, uh, just always go with the points there. That is week five in the league where they play for pay, the National Football League. Pretty awesome slate, particularly in the late afternoon games. Pick week six of the college games. This thing's flying by. I figure it feels like the other day we were just re- dialing you up to be like, football's back. Now we're five, six weeks in this thing. This thing goes fast. I appreciate the time, dude. Um, looking forward to catching up this weekend. I'm coming back to the SIP. I'm uh, excited about it. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, uh, the library's still there. And uh, like I said, I think they got a couple new books in, so – We'll definitely uh, go check those out and make sure everything's running properly up there. And, uh, yeah, we'll definitely do that Friday night for sure. Absolutely. Greg, the meat sharp Jones, appreciate his time. As always, check him out at LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. You guys know the drill. Go check him out after you leave the stadium, hopefully after an Ole Miss win, be in a good mood. And uh, you can check them out at LB's, throw something on the grill and enjoy the night games. We'll catch up with you next week, dude. As always, I appreciate it, y'all. And that's our show. I appreciate you hanging with us to the end. Hope you guys have a safe and happy weekend. Excited to be back in Oxford. Uh, haven't really done the whole football game experience in a while. So I'm looking forward to uh, doing that, seeing some family, seeing some friends, playing a little golf with Chase on Friday. And uh, yeah, good to be back in the SIP. Hope you guys have a great weekend and we will talk to you on Sunday.